This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. The Dale Jr. Download. All right, everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Mike Davis, my co-host, is here. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dale. How are you? Leah Schultz. They're all in the house. Um, we got a good show. Todd Parrott is going to come on the show. Todd, obviously, uh, for a lot of you that know, uh, was a crew chief for Dale Jarrett uh, when Dale won his championship uh, for Robert Yates. Uh, but Todd uh, was around long before, and I really want to get into all of that. His dad, Buddy Parrott, was a, is a Hall of Fame-worthy crew chief and uh, has a an amazing story himself, so we'll learn a little bit about Buddy along the way, I'm sure. I'm really excited about this, uh, so looking forward to that interview. And uh, we got a lot of other things going on out there. Oh, Mike. Hey, what's up? So um, <laughs> we went to uh, Nashville Fairgrounds. I noticed. Right? Uh, great news. Um, so for a lot of you folks out there, I've been pushing real hard over the years, uh, especially since we moved the banquet to Nashville, where we celebrate the champion, that we would go back to Nashville and race uh, trucks, Xfinity Cup. Obviously, my choice is the fairgrounds. NASCAR is going to Nashville this year. We're going to Nashville Super Speedway. And the closer we get to that event, the more excited about that I, I get. Good. I am. Um, I'm looking forward to it. That is actually the first race that NBC is going to broadcast this year. We'll come out of the gate with a with a you know a track that cups the Cup Series has never really been to. So it should be a lot of excitement and, and energy for that race, and I'm looking forward to it. But you know, my hope is that the idea of racing at the fairgrounds is still alive and well. Mm -hmm. It's been something that's sort of been in, in, in conversation. Uh, there's been some movement, some effort, mainly led by Marcus Smith and his team with Bristol Motor Speedway. Um, they've been sort of exploring that avenue of the real possibilities of racing at, at the fairgrounds. And you'll hear from different people over time that, Oh, the deal's dead. Oh, this is never going to happen. Well, still alive. Oh, still some movement. Never going to happen. You know, just kind of people are going back and forth, and uh, everybody's got a an opinion about what the realistic situation is uh, about racing there. So um, I have been in t uh, contact with Marcus for years about this, telling him over and over, like, anything I can do to help, please, anything I can do to help. Well, a good friend of mine, Teddy Phillips, is a partner in the Nashville Grand Prix for the IndyCar Series. They're mm -hmm. going to come to Nashville and race in the city. It's going to be amazing. Um, an opportunity came up for me to become a small part of that group uh, and to sort of uh, – it's just a really cool opportunity for me to learn, to do something with my friend Teddy, and, um, yeah, just see what that side of the world's like. You know, we, we got to – you know, I don't know much – about any car outside of the Indy 500. And a lot of people speculated on, why, what is Dale Jr. doing? Why, yeah. why is he doing that? But really, that's it. You just were curious and yeah. wanted to do it and get, get involved in the city. Yeah, yeah. good opportunity came on, uh, came across the table. And, and, and I know a, a friend that's involved that I, I really enjoy being around. So anyhow, um, when, the, when the, I guess the news of that sort of got uh, released, uh, Marcus called me or text me and said, hey, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're promoting uh, without me. Uh, and I said, well, man, I've been telling you for years to, to take me along with you. Um, no strings attached. I, I want nothing in return but other than to help you achieve 
the goal of getting uh, NASCAR back to the fairgrounds. And uh, I said, listen, I'll drop anything, whatever I'm doing, any day to go with you wherever you need me to go to help you. And uh, sure enough, a couple days later, he called me and said, hey, we're going to meet the mayor. Can you go? Absolutely. I'm going. So we went. Uh, it was a great experience for me. Well, hold up. Did he give you any insight into what your role was in this trip? So not really. Um, we got on the plane and I, you know, and, and I said, you know, I, I, just tell me what you need me to do. So we went to uh, meet the governor first. Okay. And we sat down with him for a little while. The governor of Tennessee. Yeah. And um, so we sat down with him for a little while. And I, I just, when, it, when I got the opportunity, I just said my feelings about racing at the fairgrounds, how much it means to me. And that connection that, that, connection that makes so much sense to me that we're, you know, we want to be in Nashville. It's a great fit for us to celebrate our champion. That's a, our banquet. I, I think that's a, a marquee event in our season. Very important day for our sport is when we acknowledge everything that we just did this whole year right we we celebrate not only the champion but other people within our sport that have you know rookie of the year and all the things right Myers brothers um that's an important um moment in the season important moment in nascar's sort of history to document everything that's been going on in the year and so we're you know where we celebrate that is is uh is important so if we're going to do that in Nashville, which is a great fit, uh, we should. We, we there's some racetracks here. We should we should showcase the product. Mm-hmm. You know, this product should be alive and well in this city. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the the super speedway is a great place to go do that in the short term and right now and here. Um, but the fairgrounds is 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 an opportunity in the future. Um, once once there's some renovations and so forth. So anyhow, when I got the opportunity to say that, I I shared that uh, emotion. And, um, you know, we relived some um, memories of my racing at the fairgrounds back in the mid-90s in late model stocks and, and, uh, and Xfinity Series in 98, 99. We went to the racetrack and visited the track, drove around it, a uh, little, you know, preliminary conversation about things that might need to be um, improved or changed or worked on, uh, you know, kind of just uh, – you know, exploring what Marcus's vision for the property is or that, that racetrack and what it could become. And then we went and sat with the mayor for hours, um, which was a great experience for me just to sit there and listen to, okay, this is the obstacles for the, the mayor and the, and, and, and the city officials, uh, the, the fair board. And, and this is every, you know, you, I kind of got a sense by being in that meeting of what everybody what everybody's uh, hope and wish is and what everybody's kind of vision is for the future of that property. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the, the racetrack, but the soccer stadium uh, that's, that's, that's being built right now in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And um, there's other things that are going to be part of that property that are going to serve the community and uh, which, are, which are really exciting for, that surra- for the surrounding neighborhoods in that area. So, um, and, it, and it was great to see the you know the mayor and the city uh neatly fit the racetrack's future into that property right and how that could work so so you did you feel it was an uphill climb in convincing these guys or did you think that they were sort of already on board that if they could just everybody, make financial sense about it everybody loves the oh, idea okay that's awesome loves the idea but it has to make financial sense sure it has to work for the city 
um, financially. Like it cannot, it can't fall short. Yeah, the least little bit. And so that was definitely something that was uh, that was voiced moment, many many times in the conversation was that this you know the the number one result has to be financial success for the city and um, for the mayor and, and the office there. Uh, to see this as a as as a you know as as a possibility, they almost need that guarantee, and so that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So Marcus and his team, man, they are they are motivated. They are so motivated to uh, to make it work. I think that they might be the only people that could make it work. Hmm. Um, I don't, I just don't know that. Just sitting in there with Marcus and 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 and. Sensing the passion that he has for this and and the motivation that he has, he can he really he really is into it, man. That's interesting. So, like, are you suggesting that without that passion, there's there it's it's too much to do for yeah. you would you would fizzle no one, out your enthusiasm would fizzle out. But if you had the passion that Marcus has, yeah. that's the kind of thing that's going to be required to see this thing through. Yeah, I just think that with their with their background track record. The ability that you know what they've done in the past around the country with their racetracks and um, their their knowledge of how to you know how to if they're given this budget how to make that work and get everything out of it they need. Uh, I just feel like that they're 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 onto something really special and and uh, anyway I'll just really kind of sit there and absorb the whole thing and and again when I got the opportunity to 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 speak on you know, why I feel like it's important for us to be there and race there at some point in the future. I did, but, uh, it was really a great learning experience. I'm so thankful for Marcus to be able to take me along so I can understand really where this project sits. And, um, and under, I really wanted to know like, okay, you know, like I said, what are the hurdles for, for the city? What are the hurdles for Marcus, uh, the track, the fair board, the property, Everything, all of it has to work in unison. It's like an engine, and all the parts have to fit together. Are uh, you able to share any of the hurdles? Like, is it like, is it is the track in dire need of repairs? The, it, it, I went to the racetrack, and it's it's in great shape. Okay, it is. It really is. I mean, they're going to have racing there this year. The track is still functioning and working as it sits today, and um, you can race there tomorrow. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that absolutely need to be upgraded, mm-hmm. and it's all you know, nitpicky little things. Uh, and they'll have to, you know, make some changes to pit road entry and so forth to make you know make it uh, workable for for NASCAR and live stops. Um, oh yeah, gotcha. You know, it, it, if you saw it, you'd understand what I'm trying no, to say. No, I, I, I get you. Um, talking to Marcus, you know, there's not. There's there's not any um, – they're going to, to maintain the profile and 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 the look and, and feel of this speedway as is. You know, you don't want to – we're not trying – they're not trying to go in there and, and reinvent Nashville Fairgrounds. It is what it needs to be right now. They just need to make it where it's uh, – you know, they got to install soft walls. That mm-hmm. type of technology has to be um, thought out and – and done the right way, um, you just don't want to plug the walls in and narrow up the racing groove, and and that changes the entire feel and profile of the racetrack when you do that. So they have an opportunity at this point to, you know, do those type of things the right way for the long term, without really affecting 
what kind of racetrack you have there today. Um, it's just an amazing place. They've got they've got a great plan, and they're already far along into what they want to do to the to the racetrack and the facility to make it work, um, to be able to get people in and out of there and and make it a great experience and make it fit. It's got to be this puzzle piece that fits perfectly with the rest of the property and the and the soccer stadium and all the people they have they have a vision right mm-hmm. they they have a vision of success in their mind and how to you know, the racetrack's got to fit into that perfectly and so uh it's really interesting well um, you guys ended up the mayor signs a letter of did. intent what does that mean what, what what are we supposed to make of that you know i think that there was you know i can just assume that marcus needs that commitment from the city before he can go spend more money on designs and ideas and uh they've spent uh marcus and his teams you know invested in the property to get to this point but to continue uh to make that type of investment and really bring those type of plans forward to show to the mayor and and the the city and the fair board and everybody else uh they need a bit more of a commitment Mm -hmm. uh than they've than they've gotten and so that was a real key moment that triggers what that what that um letter of intent does is it triggers marcus and bristol motor speedway to go back and start planning you know, next, re- next steps yeah. i mean like yeah start really showing so they they need to go back and 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 they'll get down and and at the drawing board and start designing this property and this the racetrack start you know making the upgrades and improvements to the racetrack and bring forward that that and the budget for that right so that the city can understand that nascar can fit inside this 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 idea of a budget um that costs money uh for to have those people draw up those type of plans and really do that kind of you know crunch those numbers so um that's when that that was a it was it was great. It was when we, I'll just say this. So Marcus and we went into that meeting. We had a great conversation. Everything in that meeting was positive. The mayor was positive, but but he was very straightforward and honest about, look, this is how this has to work or it doesn't work. Mm. Um, Marcus was completely understanding of, of the box that he needs to fit into uh, to make this happen. And when we walked out of that meeting after that letter of intent was signed, Marcus was doing cartwheels. Mm. As happy as I've seen him, I believe, ever. Okay. Um, <laughs> because I think, you know, he's been working on this, and he's had many, many trips up to Nashville to, to sit down with the mayor for three years. I, you know, when he was on our show, you asked him about the fa- fairgrounds yeah. progress. And it was like he didn't want to get too deep in the weeds, but you could tell there was a lot going on in his head, and it seemed like he'd been working on this a long time. Yeah, it seemed like that. Yeah, he's just uh, he's a really interesting guy, and I really enjoy being around him and just watching and trying to figure out what he's thinking. Mm. You know, uh, he's uh, you know his family's been in this business a long time. He's sort of he's going to take the reins and already kind of has taken the reins over uh, their business from his father Bruton. Uh, he's going to be a major part of this sport going forward, and it's just interesting to be around those type of people uh, and 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 try to understand how they how they think and 
and try to learn, you know, and try to try to it, it really, you know, I can sit here and just be a massive fan of going to the fairgrounds and racing, but I really it's it's really cool to get down in there and, and, and get under the hood, you know, and see how the nuts and bolts of this thing are going to come together if it ever happens. I, I want to ask you this one last question, and that is, you know, I've never been to Nashville, and a lot of fans, I assume, that are listening to this podcast have never been there. Why Nashville? Why are you so passionate about this particular track and not like others like, you know, Rockingham yeah. or other tracks that have had cup dates or had potential to be cup? Why? What is it about Nashville Fairgrounds? I race there, uh, so that, uh, yeah, that definitely makes it close to my heart, but we caught lightning in a bottle with Bristol Motor Speedway back in the 70s into the 80s and 90s. I mean, you that was our pack sold out, couldn't get a ticket type of racetrack. And we didn't we don't, you know, that it it was larger than life. Bristol Motor Speedway was. And you know, we had this big explosion of mile and a half tracks being built. We moved away from short tracks and uh and chased after um, an idea and a new vision, right? We chased after, you know, these big grand mile-and-a-half complexes that hold all these people and put on these magnificent races, right? And um, we, we, miss, we, we miss some short track racing. We, we need a little bit of that back. We need some of that ingredients back into the, the, in, into the meal. And here's a racetrack that I think is very similar to Bristol in 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 profile, um, in history, in the ability to put on an exciting race. If you wanted to try to create a wide, you know, very exciting, popular short track, it has a lot of the ingredients that you would use if you were going to start from scratch. But mm. it's there; it's ready. I mean, it just needs a facelift, right? Got it. And so, Nashville's such a great city. Yeah, man, is that place just grown and mm-hmm. and really sort of come into its own over the last decade um and and when we go so we've been out there in vegas with our banquet i've had a great time in mm-hmm. vegas the yep. banquet's a great place you know the banquet's a, a great fit for vegas and and we certainly everybody enjoys hanging out in the casinos for a week and then and then celebrating the champion but if we're going to move it we got to move it closer to the home base if you will where we have our hall of fame charlotte north carolina all that Basically, moving it to Nashville, that's like walking into your backyard. Yeah. Right? Right. It's a, it's a great fit. Um, it's a great town that loves to, loves to party, loves <laughs> to have a good time. Uh, that's what the banquet's about. It's a week-long celebration mm-hmm. or a few-day celebration of, of, of the sport. Not you, know, you celebrate the champion, but you also celebrate what NASCAR is all about, right? And it's superstars. And so we got a great little racetrack right there that's just perfect uh, to be able to go to maybe once a year, and you know, and really show Nashville what NASCAR is all about, and and, and let that community really kind of embrace us uh, the way that we want to embrace them. You know, it's a, it's a, I just think it makes a lot of sense. So hopefully, the progress keeps going in the right direction. But the letter of intent was a great sign that the uh, the city is is really warming up to the idea of having Marcus and Bristol Motor Speedway. And when when fans, have, there's a couple things that I've seen on social media. Obviously, there's there's a community around that racetrack. I mean, there's housing housing and everything right around it. I talked to Marcus multiple times 
during that trip about noise control, things that he would want to do, things that could be done, discussions that could be had with NASCAR to really make this a fit for the community. Another thing, too, is is if Marcus and his team uh, do get this contract and lease, then the community will have a better understanding of the calendar year of which they will hear racing. There won't be these, you know, oh. right, right now, um, you know, if I have a late model and I wanted to go to Nashville, I could probably go rent a track sometime next week and just show up and run all day, right? And bug the hell out of the neighbors. Mm-hmm. All that stuff will be a little bit more controlled. There's a lot of good things in the conversations that I had with Marcus just during that day about that, how mm. to make this work for the community so that it's not going to be bigger, louder, more obnoxious. It'll be actually more controlled, less days with real track activity. So, um, and, and there's still going to be that weekly racing component. Nashville's still going to be a, a racetrack where you can go watch short track racing with late models, pro late models, super late models, and so forth. The the big marquee events that are that are well known to to run at Nashville year after year will still happen. Um, that's not going away. Mm. And um, the other thing too was when people hear Bristol Motor Speedway involved in this, they think that that means that Bristol would be a track that might give up a date for this to happen. No, I hope that's, that's not, not it. The case. No. Right. So when you hear Bristol Motor Speedway, that's an entity. That's that's a that's an organization. A that's a business. Yeah. Not that's not necessarily Bristol going to. Nashville and saying, hey, we could give up a date if you'll let us have a race at Nashville. Bristol will give up a date. That's not what's happening. That's just that's – a, that's a business, uh, and, and Bristol Motor Speedway and its staff are kind of the ones being tasked by Marcus to manage this whole project. Mm, right? Wow, that's some So the people that are – you know, so if you look at Bristol, that whole staff and all the people that are that are responsible for that track and it, and and what what it is today will be the same people that would manage uh, the fairgrounds in the future. Okay. Hey, thanks for explaining all that because yeah. you know when you guys put it on social media, everyone got interested all of a sudden. What does it mean? What is Dale doing? Uh, is you know what what is it? we're trying to process all this? So you just gave a really thorough explanation of what you guys were doing up there and 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 put it into context of exactly what that meant. From a letter of intent standpoint, it doesn't guarantee anything. It guarantees that they can go to the next step and invest a little bit more money into uh, establishing what that vision is. That's Absolutely, where we're at. Yeah, it's it's a it's 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 got some it's got some great possibilities. Man, uh, you know, to our longtime listeners, they're gonna they're gonna uh, remember this conversation. They're gonna remember our 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 back and forth. They are. Yeah, okay. they are. Well, that's good. Over, over the time, dentist. I had another uh, great dental experience. Well, by all means, this is what I. This is why listeners come to the Dell Jr. Download. Well, yeah. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So um, I've been trying to get Mike to uh, go to my dentist. I did go to him For, once. Yeah. They they don't take our insurance. Well, they change now. They do. So oh, good heavens. He called. <laughs> well, this happened months ago, but uh, White and Haynes Advanced Dentistry. <laughs> In Cornelius, North Carolina. I've been going there a long time. Brad Haynes is my dentist. Um, and been trying to get Mike to go there because he's got such an awesome set of teeth. And I know Brad would be like, awesome! I can't wait to work on these bad boys. So, uh... If they're I mean, awesome, if he's he a, doesn't have to work well, on Well, he's a dentist and he likes... Imagine he loves to work on teeth, right? Imagine some of the bad teeth some, he has to work got on. Some, you got some... I got some good ones? Good ones in there. Thank you, Dale. So... Uh, you know, and I'm just trying to do my guy solid. He's been great to me. And uh, here's an example. Uh, yesterday, 
I was I woke up and I was eating my breakfast and I broke a, a crown. Mm. Yeah. So okay, crown. If anybody's did, ever done this, did, chipped even chipped a tooth, right? Did Brad put in your crown and it chipped? Long time ago. Mm. So I don't know, man. wait. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, my crown hasn't chipped. God, if any has anybody in the room chipped a tooth? I mean, not never. a crown. Wow, never. Not a crown. No, no, no. just no. seems to be never. something that happens out of your dentist. Just me. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure our <laughs> listeners have probably chipped. <laughs> A feeling fallout or anything? Nothing? No mm. dental emergency whatsoever. Really? Sa- sounds like there's a lot of problems over Man. there. You're, you're into the... Well, I'm 46. What were you eating? Probably... Yeah, what were you nothing eating? Nothing. Crazy. Just um, nothing. Crazy. It was like a protein bar. <laughs> oh. Mm. I eat the same protein bar every morning. I know. It's just so easy to go in there and grab it. But anyways... <laughs> That's another conversation. For <laughs> yeah, that is another conversation. <laughs> Um, so you go chip, you, you go in. Yeah, I chip my, I chip this uh, crown that he made, and I called him up, and I was like, "Hey, man, I chipped this crown. I uh, can come in there uh, as soon as possible." And he got me in same day yesterday, fixed the crown, made a new one, and um, and I'm off and running. And so it made me, um, it made me think about you, man. And I called you. And uh, they just expanded their building too to be mm. able to uh, to uh, have people in there. Square uh, footage. People. Square footage is something I definitely well, look, they, out, look you for know, out of a dentist. Well, when you go to some most dentists, man, they've got a lot of clients, and they don't really need new clients, right? Most most offices are pretty packed. So, so you're saying go to your dentist where it's it's nice and roomy. They just, uh, yeah, they just expanded their office, and. Um, and I'm just trying again, one one more time to to encourage you to go there and are, are give it you, a shot. Is your recruiting pitch here to again insinuate that your ability to call up to your dentist and have an appointment that day is something that would therefore transfer to me as well? Yes. See, I have had made the argument for all these years that you're able to do that because your name is Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Steve Latart's like, I can do that too. And I'm like, well, your name is Steve Latart. Yep. But you know what they don't do it for? Mike Davis's. I think they do. So there's a lot of us out there. I think you know how I um, would you would it be fair to say that I don't recognize my own celebrity? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I I don't. I'm not able to quantify. I, I would say in some cases yes, but in other cases, I mean, you just got done. Tell, you just got done telling a story about how you told Marcus anything I can do, and you got taken to Nashville to persuade the mayor and. After years and years of Marcus trying to do it, you go one day and you walk out with a letter of intent. <laughs> All right. But so, yeah, you, they'll book you on the same day at the dentist. I yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, you've, you and me have had this conversation before where I have a hard time quantifying that l- the level of notoriety. Yeah. You also don't know how to quantify your own notoriety, Mike Davis. I don't have any notoriety. You're a ho- you got a blue check on this, mark on Twitter. Yeah, you're a blue you're check a big mark. Deal. You're, you're oh. co host on this podcast. You're on a television show. Star. I, I don't. <laughs> shut it. <laughs> superstar. He's shut a superstar. It. Yeah. Like, is there an F level star? Like, I know there's, no. there's A and B and C, D. Right. What's an F minus level? Hey. That's me. I'm on the same. I'm on the same level of stardom as like the you know the the local butcher. Yep. All right. With that, Schultz <laughs> is like, yep, I know exactly what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you bring that level of stardom and those pearly whites, and Brad, 
Brad's going to take your call, and he's going to get you in <laughs> any minute. Any- and so, so what changed the insurance? That's the big, yes. Because I went to him. I know. I went. To, I just had a dentist appointment, and you said it went miserable. No, I didn't say it went miserable. I like my dentist. It took a while to get me in. Again, F level star. We'll yeah. have that problem at White and Haynes Advanced Dentistry <laughs> in Cornelius, North Carolina. She, newly expanded Whites yeah. and Haynes. Hey, Superstar Racing Experience unveiled their car. Did you see that? So Ray Evernham, Tony Stewart, they've got this Superstar Racing Experience. They unveiled the car the other day. They're going to have uh, all these uh, you know racing greats, superstars. Um, let's see, Marco Andretti. I think Michael Waltrip. Michael, yeah. Helio. Helio. Yeah, so there's a long list of all these awesome dudes that are going to run in this series. People have been waiting on this car to get unveiled. They unveiled it yesterday. Kenny Schrader was testing it at Caraway Speedway. I thought it looked really cool. I really liked it. I didn't see it. All right, Mike, take a look. look Anybody else see it? I saw it. Schultz, what's your thoughts? Very excited. It looks really cool. I thought the car looked great. Does it have some valence? I saw people talking about There's that no splitter. That's amazing. Yeah, there's this giant wing that's kind of it doesn't look bad. But the great thing about it is is there's no blade, right? There's no there's no blade knocking air off the following car. So all the air goes over the top or and goes right onto the nose of the car that's that's following. So I'm interested really yeah. to watch these cars on the racetrack interacting with each other and see how the arrow works and if there's anything to be learned uh by watching these cars race and compete so pretty mm. exciting they they basically got to create a race car from a blank sheet of paper and it, it's not going to be a home run grand slam but it does look like they've got on base here yeah when you guys agree what yeah, do you think? Mike? I, I think it looks good. great. Yeah, a lot of people got the late model. It was, feel. Lot, it was a, um, some hot and cold response to uh, the, the the visual. I bet the wing is what throws some people off. I don't think. I mean, it just overall, I think some people were like, ah, I don't know. I really love the way it looks, but I'm a stock car guy. This this looks a lot like you know a late model stock sort yep. of. You know, it's got a lot of late model stock vibes. Yep. it's got some super late model vibes. It does. They're going to run on a lot of short tracks, you know. That's why they tested at Caraway. So it's a short track car. Uh, it's got to withstand a little beating and banging. So um, I, I understand kind of a lot of the approach here as to what the body looks like. And, and um, I see where Superstar Racing Experience uh, just said, you would look so good in this, Dale Jr. Yeah. yeah. They want me to run, I think. I think that's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. I, you, 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 I mean, I, little... I like to make money. Let's. Can we talk about money? Yeah, like yeah. I, I like to. Can I make money doing this? You want me to respond to him and say, "Hey, he wants to make money." Well, I don't <laughs> know. Is this a? Is this? Is there any type of monetary award? Uh, mm. uh, any? You know what I mean? Like, can we make money? Is there sponsorships involved? What are they paying the other guys? Yeah, I wonder. That's yeah. interesting. So we got questions. Yeah, but he, hey. Dale didn't say no. He didn't say no. He didn't say no. Well, my wife is going to say no. <laughs> but that's another that's another conversation. Dale didn't say no. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's really interesting. And honestly, if you want to know my honest emotions about this whole thing, I absolutely am paying attention to it. Um, I, I absolutely am curious as to what this becomes, what it turns into, and what, what if, what if, 
If you know, is there any way that I fit into that future? But yeah, I. I it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Well done by those guys. What's up, Download listeners? It is the biggest time of the year right now for college basketball. And I will tell you, regardless of who makes it to the final game in the tourney, one thing is for certain. It takes the most talented people working together to help these teams play at the next level. And if you are hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. And how do you do that? Zip Recruiter. That's right, man. We just went through a big hiring process ourselves, mm-hmm. and it was helpful to have Zip Recruiter's powerful technology, which starts showing you qualified people for it immediately after you post your job. Yeah, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. Pick Zip Recruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on Zip Recruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try Zip Recruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Dale Jr. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. There he is. Hey. What's happening, bud? Look at that. He's coming some. He got gifts. I like it. Good to see you. That says 2000 Daytona 500 on the back. That was a big one. Y'all had him covered that week. Dude, he came with the gifts. Thank you for the hats. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, brought some treasures. Let's see these. Some treasures. Oh, yeah. Let's see them. I know. I know. Here, I'm going to hand them to you first. Yeah. Is that you? Yeah. That, so that's uh, Victory Lane, uh, 1971, Daytona. Bobby Isaac win the race. Harry Hyde, crew chief. That's my dad, uh, Harlan Cox. That's me in the blue shirt with my hand on the fender with my dad. And that's uh, my little brother, Brad. I think he's somewhere right there behind me. And my mom's in the background. That's amazing, dude. I, was, on, I was only six years old. Yeah. Reminds, were... It reminds me a, a lot of uh, your history and yeah. the pictures I've seen of you. Do you remember that time of your life? I do not. Yeah. And that suck? Because yeah. you're sitting there looking at <laughs> I have that same... Well, I had that same experience. Sure. I got pictures of me. I'm like, damn, I was there. <laughs> and then, um, that's Holy the, crap. the 88 yeah. car that Robert G. built oh, with the wow. uh, Volkswagen front fenders. Yep. Um, and that was me looking at the uh, left front tire. Damn. I, think I, I think that was uh, 1977, you actually. Damn, you was around. That is a beautiful race car. It is. Oh, yeah. That's up there. And Yeah. And then the, uh, the other one is the uh, car that... Same car with the fenders cut out. Yeah. And um, went to Charlotte. We went, yep. We went to Talladega mm-hmm. to sit the um, world closed course. With this car? Yeah. I didn't know that. See it? Uh, one of the pictures. It's got the, uh, so it's actually got wheel covers of it. Oh, I see. <laughs> Damn, dude. I've never seen that. Number 71. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. So uh, Her- uh, Farrell Harris drove the car. Okay. And uh, my dad, Robert G. Y'all went to Talladega. Yeah. And set a closed course record with this car. How fast did it go? You remember? I do not remember. Yeah. But I know there was um, a lot of tricks involved. <laughs> if you can only ma- imagine sure. Robert G. and my dad. Well, yeah, for real. Get those two together, and there's going to be some trickeration, huh? Yeah. I didn't know that Buddy Parrott was the crew chief for dad at Atlanta. There's that a, car right yeah. there. Yeah. Okay. Johnny Ray's car. Yes. I printed out the uh, the records. Right. My dad was crew chief in 1976 for your dad. Oh. Now, hold, hold up. You're saying... The 77 right there? Yeah. Like the the, uh, the throwback paint scheme that we ran last year? Yes. Yes. 
your dad was the crew chief of that car? Yes. Yeah. With uh, the original sponsor was High Gain. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's a die cast of that. Uh, yeah. You know, in a few places. So me, I didn't me, know. Me and you go way back. I'd be damn. <laughs> that's probably before you were born. I was two. Mm-hmm. My mom, Brenda, was spot was scoring that race for dad. Dick Brooks <laughs> blew a motor, and, or somebody blew a motor, or Dick Brooks blew a motor. But anyway, he dad crashed. hit Br- yeah. Dick and yeah. flipped mm-hmm. his car. And that was that? Yeah, damn, dude. Yeah. So I like to start from the beginning. I like to, you know, I, I was around you in the 90s, and, and I even remember being around. I remember being, I think the first memory I have of you is you gluing tires up for Richard Petty at Martinsville in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I, and me and Kelly were at that race, and I just remember her talk. Y'all, you were there and talking to her, and I and she was she was like she told me that's Brad or that's uh, Todd. Todd, Perry. yeah. And um, yep. I, and that's my first memory. And then I learned you had you had a brother. Mm-hmm. Brad. Uh, then I learned who your dad was, and have come to know your dad uh, quite well. As far as, um, you know, I didn't know he did that for my father in 76, but, I mean, he was crew chief for Darrell Waltrip on the Gatorade car. 1978 and 79. Yeah. I mean, he went he went to a lot of different teams, but he had a lot of success everywhere he went. You become a crew chief in your own right, but let's start at the beginning. Let's start back at those pictures right there. So what's your first memory of going to track? When do you know you were at a racetrack? I would say my first memory was probably um, – in 77, yeah, you know, Charlotte with uh, that car that Robert G. built, and my dad was, um, you know, a part of it, the Gatorade, Darrell Walter driving. Yeah. And, um, you know, then my dad obviously became crew chief for Darrell, yep. you know, right after that. And uh, they finished second in the points, I think 79, and missed the championship by two points. Yep. You remember going to the races with him and... Dude, yes. I remember... The days sitting in the paddock, which um, now is, um, you know, the old Lake Model Sportsman garage yeah. next to the Cup garage, yep. you know, down toward the uh, Infield Care Center. At Charlotte? Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, still there. Yeah, it's still there. And um, my mom would back the um, our, station, our station wagon, and we had a nice panel fan station wagon. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she'd back, we'd back it up, and, um, you know, we would eat chicken and— yeah. Hang out, and the only way I could get in the pits back then was to crawl underneath the fence. I wasn't scared. Yeah, so you went under the fence to get in the garage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've done that myself. Find holes in the fence to get crawl under it, or or a hole in it somewhere to to get into the access you're looking for. But so, what was your first job? My first job was actually working with my dad at um, Benfield Racing, the '98 car with. Um, Joe Rutman. Yes. Actually, Morgan Shepard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, actually, I worked in uh, – I was still in high school at Northwest Cabarrus, and I was um, – the engine tear down – actually, started out cleaning bathrooms and mopping floors and – So, that really happens. I grunt, Everybody I, says that, but that's really what – that's really Well, I mean, if, if you make it all the way to the top, like I was lucky to do, you, you start at the bottom and work your way up. And that yeah. – I started as – Far down at the bottom as I could. Yep. I was a engine teardown guy for Ray Fox. Really? Yes. So I worked in the engine room. It was him, one other guy, and I tore engines down and cleaned parts. On the 98? Yes. Mm-hmm. So your dad was with that car, and then where did he go from there? He left that team. Went to the for, to the King. 
Okay, so he goes to work for Buddy, or he goes to work for Richard Petty Richard at Petty. Curb. Yep, at Curb. Did you go with him? Yep, immediately. Uh, well, I graduated high school in 1983. Um, never forget when I graduated. My dad gave me two hundred dollars. He said, "Here's two hundred bucks. Go, um, go do what you want to do this summer." <laughs> and I'm like, "Really? Wow, two hundred dollars!" And um, he said, "I want you to take this two hundred dollars." I want you to go to the beach, go with all your friends, you know, do all of the things that normal high school kids do. Yeah. Because when you come back from the beach and your summer vacation, when you start work, you'll never experience another day like that. <laughs> that or no, uh, you will never experience another time like that because when you start racing, if that's what you want to do, yeah. then it's head down and digging. Yeah. There's no time off. No. Yeah. Well, damn. Did you get everything out of that $200? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. I learned some bad habits from my dad watching, you know, growing up. You know, my dad, he was uh, um, in high school, he was a um, sw the swim team. Okay. He was a diving champion. He was actually in North Really? Carolina. Yes. My dad was a, yeah, like North Carolina State <laughs> diving damn, champion. That's buddy, awesome. Buddy oh, yeah. Barrett so, is a diver. Oh, yeah. So uh, my dad, I'll never forget, uh, we're in Darlington at the old. Down there on Flor in Florence, I can't remember what it was old Holiday Inn or something. Thunderbird. Well, <laughs> yeah, you have a history. That's for, that's for another story. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, guys, it, was, it was the one, that, one right down from the street. And um, <laughs> my dad and Donnie Allison were best friends. I mean, I grew up with all the Allisons. Yeah. You know, Davey, Ronald, Donald, yep. that whole bunch used to go down to uh, Birmingham, hang out with them down there, Hueytown. So anyway, my dad and Donnie were really, really professional divers. Donnie? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Yeah. Donnie. Donnie out Al yeah. Donnie Allison <laughs> oh, yeah. in a bathing suit's just scary enough to get me well, out of the pool. Well, <laughs> well, on this day they weren't in a bathing suit. Oh God. There's another no, <laughs> what are no, you talking no, about? No, no. My dad my dad and Donnie had on uh shorts and my dad had cut okay. off bib overalls, like a farmer's blue yeah. overalls. And he jumped off the second story of the hotel. Into the pool. With a broom. <laughs> of course he did. Because <laughs> he, he was told him he was going to fly. <laughs> and he flew off the top of the hotel into the pool. And when he landed in the pool, Donnie came off the diving board in same gimmick. <laughs> I mean. What in the hell were they doing? I did, you know, actually, you know, I really, did, I really didn't have a good chance growing up. <laughs> you were, I mean, you I, were I, done. I, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Is, this is early memories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was that kind of a, you know, was that kind of the, see, I remember when I started going to races as a little kid, there wasn't a motor co coach a lot. Mm -hmm. Everybody stayed in the hotels. Mm -hmm. And when you would, you know, you'd get to the racetrack uh, where you get to the hotel on a Thursday or whatever. Mm -hmm. Man, you'd immediately start seeing people you recognized, right? And not everybody stayed at the same hotel. Mm -hmm. One hotel would have a bunch of people. Another hotel would have a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. After the end of the day, if it was a reasonable afternoon, most people ended up at the pool. Yep. Right? Yes, absolutely. At the pool hotel. Just, just hanging out. What's your brother doing during all, during well, back when you, you know, you started Petties and all that? What's your brother doing? Going to school. My brother, yeah, he's going to school. Yeah. You he's know. not into it yet. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he wasn't into it. But uh, like I said... When I graduated high school after the after summer of '83, you know, I'd come back find a job. My dad obviously got the job with Richard Petty. I've got I mean, that's when actually my memories start about race the most. Yeah. yeah. So what? Let, 
your dad is going to be the king's crew chief. Yes. All right. Is are y'all like flipping out? Are you like, damn, this is awesome? Are you more like, this is how it's supposed to be? Dad's just dad's an amazing crew chief. Well, my dad was crew chief for Daryl Walter. Yeah. At Die Guard. So he, you're, Gardner. he's already established. He's established. You In know, your it, mind, this is I, just a next step. This is a logical next opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we moved down to uh, Randleman because I think that's the team that uh, Butch Mock and, and Bobber Hilly had sold to the King to start out. So we started it out down at uh, Petty Enterprise, down at Level Cross. We moved from our house, you know, li- we were living in. We moved in with my grandmother. So my grandmother and my aunt were next-door neighbors to the king. So Richard and Linda, when you go down that the road where they live, that big house yep. back there in the back, um, the next house you come to was my aunt and uncle's house, uh, Jackie and Harold, man. And then my grandmother had a trailer on the same on the same land. Yeah. Me and my dad, that's that's where we lived because that you know we were just working right down the street from. That's all you needed. Yeah, so we we stayed there five days a week, you know, and went back home to see mom and and the kids and stuff. But um, so yeah. let me ask you this: so you're working at Randleman, North Carolina, in mm-hmm. Petty's shop with your dad. When you went, you know, when you go in there, are you aware of the history of that of that building? Are you look Are you looking around in there, going, "Man, this is I can't believe all the you know Lee Petty, Richard, all the history and wins." Um, are you is that stuff soaking in? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, because so I've as a kid growing I'm, up in the sport, I've never I mean, been there. I've never been to that shop. You've never been. Yeah, there. Richard's no. not real happy with him either. He's 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 invited him a yeah. couple times, to go. and he's yeah. not been there. You've got to go. It's one of the most incredible places you'll ever go. So you know, they've got it's like a museum now. Right. You know, he builds yeah, all sure. those hot rod cars yep. and I think the Fords, the Mustangs, yeah. and all that type of stuff. But but the physical w- buildings and all but, are. Yeah, the physical buildings, they're all still there. Like, if you go back in the back where Maurice Petty, where the engine shop was, that's all still together. Mm, the machine awesome. shop's still together. Yeah. So I had two stints there. Um, the first, that you know, actually in 84. And then um, they bought the building in um, Kannapolis, you know, right downtown Kannapolis. Yes. At the top of the, he- the, top of the hill. Yep. And, all- and we moved there. Yep. How was that? Because I drive by that building going to Mamaw's house, and uh, there's Richard Petty's car in there, Dad's championship car in there, the number two car that's sitting on the desk here. What was working in that building like? It looks kind of small by today's standards, but was that a big deal? So that wasn't the actual shop we were in. Oh. Okay. So that little museum there, Yeah. if you go you know, down the road and up to the top of the hill, uh-huh. you know, right where you turn left to go on Highway 3, right before you turn left to go on Highway 3, there was that. there's a... I think it's a shopping center now, right on that corner. Yep. That was actually our race shop. Shoot. And we took it. It was an old, it was an old mill building, and you know we went in there and did the floors, put bays in there, put a paint booth, all that stuff, and um, that was where we won the races, the one ninety nine, two hundred, you know, with the king. Wow! From that shop. Yeah. Refresh my memory. Why did the king go race at Curb Records or for Mike Curb? He didn't race for Curb Records. You can you can have your well, opinion. I got mine. Oh, is there a story on behind I don't that? Know. We'll see. All right, let's see. Well, all right, go first. Well, I think he was looking for somebody to help him. You, you know, bet, yeah, get him. Uh, the money man, huh. you know, and, and Curb came in to, so, to help with that. So, like, the family business was was starting to. Well, he's down at Petty Enterprise. Okay, you know, and I mean, Maurice down there. I mean. 
you know, there, sometimes you hear stories about that whole thing, a lot of friction between some of them. And I think Richard just wanted to, um, you know, maybe move out and go on his own. And Mike Curb came in and offered the deal to him, and um, that's where it started. Yeah, because um, Dale Inman goes the crew chief uh, yeah. for dad at the two car in 81. So all of that kind of was – they were all kind of like going on in their own directions, Richard – Maurice, mm -hmm. Dale Inman. Now they ended up kind of all come back together, at least Dale and, and Richard did. But Richard was just saw an opportunity. He still thought he, you know, could win races and this was going to be a chance to do it. Yeah, and he did. He did. Yeah, you know, so and dad and you know, dad led the team. And I came in as a mechanic doing tires. You know, started carrying tires. I was only nineteen years old. Yeah. going over the wall. I mean, I was living a dream. Now that's when I ran into you. Yeah. So, what all teams did you work for from that moment at Richard Petty till you got to Yates? What were the team fill the gaps? So to fill the gaps, so in 1985, at the end, of, actually in the mid midpoint or the later part of '84, the King had a better idea, got rid of Dad, and how come? You know, I'm really not sure. You know, there was probably a, you know, you know how different you know how drivers and crew chiefs are. Yeah. I well, mean, it's definitely got to match up. I mean, like it's definitely got to work, and that can always change too. So, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a marriage. I mean, right? You know, I mean, I've been through a lot of marriages other than the two that I currently have. You know, with drivers, crew chiefs, things like that. But um, so they got rid of my dad, and I went up to the front office and saw the general manager, and I said, "Hey, uh, do I still have a job?" Um, well, I'm sorry, but you're. <laughs> You're probably going to have to go, too. I'm like, you're okay. with dad. <laughs> Damn. I guess we were a package deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, which which I was okay with. So, in uh, 19, over the winter of 1984, I reached out to uh, Barry Dodson and Harold Elliott and um, about going to work at Blue Max because they were looking for a guy that could take care of tires, do all that type of stuff. So, in 1985, I worked with Tim Richmond, you know, the old Milwaukee yep. car. Barry Dodson, Harry Elliott, John Dodson. What was that experience Red Dog. Like? I mean, yeah. what was that experience like? Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, Tim Richmond, you know. I mean, you've seen the battles, you know, with your dad and Tim. I mean, if that guy would have stayed around and would have lived, there's no telling how many championships he would have won. Yeah, he'd have won the, a handful. The, the, yeah. I mean, the talent he had was incredible. But just a fun guy to be around. Always had a good time. Loved the party. Yep. And he – Raced like no none other. He raced and he partied the same. Yeah, like very hard. WFO, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very hard. So in 1980, see, so that was 85. So at the end of 85 is when Rick Hendrick, you know, we saw Tim's talent. He hired uh, Tim to come drive the Folgers car in 86. And Rusty Wallace came in, and we had the Allegard car. So... 86, uh, 86 was the Allugard car. 87, we had Kodiak. Uh, 88, still the Kodiak car. 89, won championship with Rusty. 1990. What's your job? What's your role throughout all this? Is it uh, staying pretty much the same? Yeah. You're controlling tires? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was a mechanic. I did. Yeah. I, you, know, you get moved around? I different? did. No, not really. Because back then, I mean, you had Barry Dodson was crew chief. Jimmy Maycar was the chassis specialist. In, in today's world, car chief. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, me, uh, Red Dog drove the truck. 
Buddy Barnes and um, Buddy Barnes. Buddy 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 Red Dog yeah. Barnes. He, okay, he's a character. Oh yeah, so much. And then I did actually. They moved me into building suspension and, and you know and learning mechanics. But in the meantime, I took care of all the tires. Yeah, I was the tire. Guy. I was the tire guy. I mean, tire guys back then. When you got home from a race, you had whatever forty tires you had to pull. That's back when Goodyear won the interliners two days after the race. So I had to pull all. The, I had to dismount all those tires because you couldn't send them champion. We had to put them in our truck in the lounge, bring them home. You know, we built a thing on the fence out by the tire room, and I had to pull the liners out by myself because I didn't have no help. So I pretty much did that the whole time. When that when uh, Tim left to go to hit uh, Rick's, but that team's identity stayed the same. Um, Rusty comes in now. Rusty's not a hellraiser by any means, but he he uh, he was brash. Uh, I think every other word in his vocabulary is an f bomb. <laughs> and uh, you know he he he's a hard racer. Yeah. He kind of fit pretty good into y'all's little program. Fit uh, perfect. Yeah, and y'all go on to win a championship. I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, this is this is, you know told you tell these stories. I'll never forget just the first time we took uh, Rusty to test at Daytona, 1986. Went Daytona. I think we tested twice back then. I think we tested in December and January. In a couple couple tests. So we get this hot rod ready, you know, Miss Crazy tricked up. Go down there and test him really fast. Rusty goes out on the racetrack, comes in, put puts the window net down, you know, reaches up, put the window net down, pulls his helmet off, just real calm. You, you know Rusty. <laughs> he looks out the window, we looked up, and Barry said, what do you think? He said, what do I think? I think that I want to make every one of you make me Rich and famous. <laughs> I can't imagine Rusty. Ever he didn't that. say the car was tight, loose, <laughs> dragging, anything. He said, I want every single one of you to make me rich and famous. Yeah. What were some of the things that y'all did to the cars back then to find speed out of them? We like to share some of those uh, secrets on the show. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, back then we had a long template. There wasn't many templates right. back then. Yeah, one template. Yeah, one template, you know, and the Chevrolets had pretty pretty good hot rod. Had some friends that you know worked RCR and knew a couple things they were doing, but uh, Barry, Barry was really smart. Barry was, I mean, because you know he worked with uh, MC Anderson, Kel Yarborough, you know, in those days mm-hmm. before before he came to Blue Max. Harold Kinder was the truck driver for NASCAR, All right? And they flag kept man. the flagman, and they kept the truck down in Charlotte in this old garage, and that's where the templates, all the templates, everything stayed in there. They're like hound dogs i mean there's guard dogs down there mm-hmm. barry said i need you and red dog to go down and check and <laughs> check the template i'm like we said what do you mean well i want y'all to go down there and fix the template and he showed us what he wanted us to do so we go to charlotte hey harold you know harold hey he's lucky go you know he's just happy go lucky we need to look at this long template he gets the long template out pulls it in that building and red dog because Red Dog was truck driver, him and Harold. You know, Harold's got all these fancy chrome things on his truck. Yep. So while Red Dog had um, Harold Kinder out looking at the truck. <laughs> you fixed the template. Yeah, I had snips in my pocket. God. <laughs> and I so the the Pontiac had a, the long template had a little thing on the end of right. it that kept the nose in, intact. Right. So I went down there and cut the end of it off. 
so we could extend our nose about an inch and a half. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, yeah, did they so, figure it out? No, no. Cause, no? How? No, cause, how so, that, so I cut the template, and when I cut it, it snapped. I'm like, oh, I'm looking around. God, I mean, I'm gonna go to jail. I'm gonna, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm never gonna be around anymore. But back then, it was like that's fun. Yeah, and that's so, pretty damn. Uh, that's pretty so, damn badass. <laughs> so the then, I, <laughs> yeah. So then I took the template and I drug it on the ground. You know, you know, because they took those templates out of the truck and they stole drug them, them all over the place. Yeah. So I, you, you scuffed know, up the place to I, make it look know, like it had been that yeah, way. Exactly. Uh, let that's me just awesome. tell you, look for those <laughs> for anybody that knows. Red Dog. Do you know Red Dog, Buddy Barnes? Bit, yeah. Okay, like, like I can only imagine the conversations he's using to get people away from that template. Like, I can hear him right now. I mean, I, I, I he's wish so I... full of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. No, exactly. Right. No, no, he is, <laughs> but, but in a, in a very endearing kind of way, right? Like everybody loves him, but he, God, that that is hilarious that that was all part of. His, oh yeah. Of his so he took him to the you know. To the other side of the trailer yeah. to talk to him about it. Yeah. So he couldn't even see where I was that's, at inside the building. Because Harold brought that template out and put it in that building. That's awesome. And when he brought it in the building, the dogs were all outside. and This is good. What else did y'all do? It. What um, else did y'all do? So the other thing, thinking 1988, 89, we won tons of races with that, you know, the, the new Pontiac. Yeah. It wasn't the uh, one with the... Um, the Squared off back window. I think I saw a car in here. Yeah, like that one over there, the three car. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got the new car. So the long template on it, when they built it, you know, it didn't have that little thing on the end of it because they went off the template that they had, which had been cut by you. No. Yeah. <laughs> 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 had been fixed. Yeah. And um, so we added uh, two inches. So back then, it didn't have a hook on the back of the deck lid like they do now. So, you know, now, you know, they got that temp long template, and it went over the back. Yeah. But before then, it just went, you know, right there on the deck lid. And stopped. And stopped. So we added two inches to the back of the deck lid. So we took and moved this whole corner of the deck lid, the whole deck lid, about two inches. Wow. And, but, it, and, with, and it laid, you know, laid support. What would that do? More downforce. Okay. But that would still be obvious, wouldn't it? I mean, even though the template ends, now all of a sudden the car's growing. I mean, like... They didn't pay that much attention to it. They really didn't? Mm -mm. Wow. No. That's Boy, pretty awesome. It was like open season for... I learned for, a lot of stuff in my early days that I was able to transfer. Yeah. Was your dad that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that, yeah. that, yeah. Is that what makes the greats great? Yeah. It's, it's not cheating until you get caught. That's right. Yeah. It's innovation. Right? It's innovation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just taking that rule book and interpreting it. The way you, you want, want to, to interpret, yeah. yeah. Who's the greatest innovator? Who um, of all time? Of all time, the greatest. I'd say Ray. Ray Abraham. Ray was pretty good. He was. Yeah, Ray was really, really good. He told us a few. And um, you know, and I learned a lot. You know, in my in my days working with Yates, racing being next, him. you know, racing next to a twenty four car. I mean, I used to wear those guys out because I'd sit there and spend more time staring at their cars, and I'd go home next week and. Come back the next week and Ray go, car looks like mine. I went, <laughs> I went yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. But uh, yeah, he he probably was. I yeah. mean, he 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 learned a lot. Really smart. Yeah, very smart. So yeah. you're um you know you're kind of you're moving through different jobs and you're working with uh you win the championship with Rusty. Mm -hmm. You don't get to Yates uh until what year? 
1995. So what 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 happened in the early early 90s? In 1991, Raymond Beetle sold out to Roger Penske. So basically, our whole team went from the 27 to the two. Yeah, I think everybody went except for Barry. Jimmy Maycar took over as crew chief. Why didn't Barry go? You know, just I'm not sure. It's one of the things that really you know never asked about. Never yeah. you know, but pretty much we all we all went there. Worked with Rusty. Um, 91, you know, 92, 93, 94, 92, the end of... So, you have been a tire guy and mechanic for 10 years, right? Pretty much. From 84 till 19... And I started setting up cars for Rusty in 1992, at the end of 92 when my dad came. Yeah. And so, at what point is there a point, I guess, where you're thinking, this is my next step, this is where I want to end up? That was probably in 1992. Like I said, Jimmy Maycar was crew chief. And then um, when Joe Gibbs started his team up, I mean, all the success we were having over there with Rusty, I mean, smart guy. Yeah. Won Super Bowls, you know, and everything else. And uh, so we hired Jimmy Maycar because he had Dale Jarrett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jimmy went over to Gibbs, started that team up, and then uh, they hired my dad to uh, crew chief. Who? Pinsky. Pinsky. Okay. Yeah, so dad crew chief uh, started in 92. I was doing tires, been doing tires. You know, I'd learned that part of it. You knew it. Yeah, I knew that part, like the back of my hand. I mean, I could I could stretch tires back when you had bias pliers, and I knew exactly how much air to put in a tire to make it one-inch stagger, inch and eighth stagger, seven-eighths, whatever it was. Yeah. You know, I just I learned that because when I was at Blue Max with Rusty, I mean, Barry was crew chief, but I made all the decisions on air pressure and tire stagger based on when the tires came off the car and I measured them and got the buildups and stuff like that, and I'd give it to Barry, and I'd say, and I'd write on a piece of paper, hey, this is what I think we need to do, because listening to Rusty is comments. So I learned that part of it. So in 1992, my dad says, hey, listen, I'm, I want you to start setting up race cars. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I've been watching, you know. You know I've that. been helping, yeah, yeah. I've been helping Jimmy and, you know, Barry set up cars and all that stuff, so started setting up race cars. And I think we won a couple races in 92, but uh, 1993, man, the gate, floodgate opened. You know, when we got the, um, I think we won eight eight races in 1993. And then in 1994, um, 93, we still had the Pontiac. And then we switched to Ford over the, um, at the end of 93 to the T-Bird. And I spent a lot of time in the fab shop watching guys build cars, setting up cars. And Rusty, I mean, Hey man, he come in the shop. We get ready to go to the race. Hey, that fender's too big. I'm, Dad walk up. I'm, what are you talking about? It's too big. That, that's that that knot on the on the right front fender is about a quarter inch too big. My dad look at him. Say you're crazy as hell. He go nope. Take it back up fab shop. Have him cut it off. Fix it. Rusty'd have that kind of jurisdiction, or he'd have that kind of like Rusty. He'd, Rusty, he'd over, overrule your dad. I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, this um, approach from Rusty, but Rusty is God. <laughs> yeah. You've heard that? Oh yeah. Rusty. I haven't heard yeah. Rusty. I haven't yeah. heard it, yeah. but I, I imagine uh, I can yeah. hear Rusty he, saying he, it. I'm sure. I'm sure he has. Yeah. yeah. Rusty yeah. was a uh, Rusty Wallace was amazing. One of the things that I think was most in, uh, incredible about Rusty was that he made he he called his own adjustments. You know, it's something that not many drivers will do today, and and. Uh, I don't know how many of them did it back then. Maybe half of them. Mark Martin. Yeah. yeah, but he would. I would go to a. I'd go to a test or 
I remember going to a test and Rusty testing at Bristol and basically just calling every – he'd go run laps, come in, either say it on the radio or, or after he got on the pit road, move the track bar down, do this, put this left first spring in there. And all day long, just Rusty – there wasn't a list that they were going to – There gonna, wasn't a note card. There wasn't a note card or a list to go over. You're just going to – Rusty's going to drive and say what he wants. That was fascinating to me because he won, you know, he was success. I don't know if he was that way when he started in 87. No, no. But he kind of learned. He, well, he earned. He, 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 he actually knew a lot of that. But he learned. He grew up, you know, I guess building his he, own race cars and right. all that stuff. I guess as he got a little more authority and comfort, sure. he was able to start when he got to, to Penske. Ask some more questions, yep. yeah. Yeah, I guess when he got he hired was, by Penske, he was kind of anointed. Yeah, he was Roger's, Roger's boy. Roger's guy, yeah. Yeah. So in 93, you guys go set the world on fire. Back to his question. Are, are you starting to think, I mean, Maycar's gone. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to think I, I'm I'm ready to level up to a crew chief role yet? No, you're no, not even I, thinking about that. No, I, I was having so much fun. So my dad was crew chief. Okay, so I'd moved away from tire guy. I think it's uh, my brother Brad. He came in to be the tire guy, and uh, Bill Wilburn, your car chief, I was yeah. in the shop. Bill Wilburn was front tire changer and mechanic in the shop. Yep. You know, so I mean, got a lot of history with with guys here in your shop sure. as well. On the Rusty and his attention to detail and all that stuff. I mean, I was his guy. I mean, I was his. It was me and Jeffrey Thousand, who he grew up with Rusty back in um, St. Louis. You know, his name's what? Jeffrey Thousand. His last name's Thousand. Thousand, yeah. That's yeah. a badass last name. <laughs> Jeffrey Thousand. I mean, Parrot and Thousand. I mean, they got the last names. Covered I've just right never there. heard that last name before. Yeah, yeah, it's Jeffrey Thousand. So Sweet. He, he still works there today. No. Yeah, still works there, goes on the road. I think he works with uh, Cindric and those guys at Xfinity stuff. Oh, he still works at Penske? Yeah. That's, a, that's, old oh, thousand, yeah. that's Bob Thousand's old. <laughs> Bob Thousand. That's one of the old Thousand boys, you that's know. Thousand, hey, you know yeah. he's good. Thousand but um, that was 93 and 94, and then into 95. Oh, you started 95 with still with Penske? Because yeah. I know 95 is when you went to Yates, right? Yeah. yeah, started out in 95 with Rusty. We were at Charlotte. It was October, I'll never forget, October 1995. Larry and Robert had mentioned something to me. Larry know, McReynolds. Mc, right? McReynolds, Robert yeah. Hates. Yep. yeah. They mentioned something to me um, a few weeks earlier that they were looking to start up a new team. And they were interested in me doing being the crew chief. And I'm, you know, I don't, I'm happy. I'm. We're winning races. I mean, hand over fist and just having so much fun. I mean, having fun. Yeah. You know, I mean. Winning is fun. And um, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. And so Rusty caught wind that I was looking to do something different. And it was raining on Friday. We were over there working on the car. He pulls up in his Cadillac, Marstown, Tennessee, Rusty Wallace Cadillac. <laughs> Throw that in there for him. Um, <laughs> he rolls his window down. I look out the window. He said, come here. And I go over. He said, get in the car. I'm like, oh, Lord, what's this? Yeah. This is how people get whacked. Yeah. So we drove down turn three and four, Charlotte Motor Speedway, and we talked. And he said, you know, I heard you're, they want you to come crew chief, the 88 car. And I said, yeah, I've got the opportunity. I mean, it's actually a great opportunity. You know, and I think I'm ready for it, but I'm not sure. He said, well, I, 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 I can't let you leave. Mm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Good heavens. Yeah, and he reaches in the back seat and... Probably, I don't know if I should tell this or not, but I told you, I'm going to be honest. Be honest, yeah. Be honest. Yeah. He hands me a envelope. 
And then that envelope is full of $100 bills. And he says, I don't want you to leave. I took the envelope, went back to the garage. I put it in my briefcase, went home. Um, that was a tough decision. I called Jimmy Maycar that night and told him, you know, about the opportunity I had. He goes, man, that's a great one. And I said, you think I'm ready? He said, hell yeah, you're ready. I said, I know you are. He said, I watched you. I trained you. You know, you grew up with me. And then, uh, so I had to go in the next day. Actually, I waited till I think it was uh, Monday or Tuesday after the race, after the Charlotte race. And um, we were at the shop up there in, um, here in Mooresville. Rusty walked by, setting the car up for the next week. And I said, hey, man, you got a minute? Let me talk to you. And he goes, yeah, sure, come on. Then we went into, uh, I think, engineering office, dad's office, something like that. And I said, hey, listen, I'm going to take this opportunity. He said, really? And I handed him an envelope. And I said, I am so grateful for this opportunity that you give me and the things I learned. I said, but I got to move on. I got to do it. I got to try. And the rest is history. Man, that's emotional for you. <laughs> yeah. That's how much Rusty means to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that guy taught me more about race cars, and I was able to transfer everything that I learned from that man and my dad to my success starting out in 1996 with Dale Jarrett to this day. Man. I didn't know that that was as difficult of a decision. Yeah. You know, so. Sorry. You're you're good, buddy. Um you ended up crew chief in, in 1995, so you make that decision in the middle of the year. Yeah. Or during the year. Right. Yeah, late in the year. You All said right. October, it was October. Right? Ernie yeah. runs three races. You crew chief those races. Yeah. So, so let, let me ask you. Okay. So your, this is obviously a, a really hard decision. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you have emotions about it even today. <clears throat> At any point, I mean, you go and you run these three races. You you had to prepare. You're in the shop. You mm-hmm. you you're crew chiefing on a uh, from the shop floor, which is a little bit different than being at the racetrack. Mm-hmm. You go to the racetrack and you go through these three races with Ernie. At any point in this in this experience in 1995, are you thinking I made the wrong decision? Absolutely, or, absolutely not. Never. Never. So uh, from the I ne- I n- from the moment you hit the shop floor at Yates, I never looked back. It was the right choice. Yeah, you knew it. Yeah. yeah. So. When I made that decision, um, after me and Rusty talked, it was, I think it was an off weekend, actually, and um, Ernie was testing at Rockingham. And, your uh, car. Your well, car. It wasn't my car. Not your car yet. James Entz was actually the crew chief. He knew nothing about this. And me and Robert got in his uh, Lincoln Town car, and we drove down to Rockingham, and we talked the whole way down there about all this stuff. Like, Man, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. You're pumped. You're oh ready. yeah. You're like he, he, he was badass. so he was so excited because I was telling you know, I was just telling him all the stuff that I learned, the things that I felt like that I could bring to the table, yeah. and you know how old I, are you? I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nervous. Uh, it's 1995. Let's see, 30 years old. 30 years old. Yeah, 30 years old. That's young. Yeah, we pull. I'll never forget. You know, this, these are the type of memories you just things. You know, some things growing up. Mm-hmm. You go through is the blur. I'll never forget pulling up in the garage. We pulled up in that Lincoln Town car and pulled up next to the uh, the truck. Robert gets out. I open the door, and I stand up, and the guys in the garage looked and then went, holy <laughs> what's he doing here? 
You were the enemy. They they <laughs> they didn't know I was coming. Yeah. You know, so did they I mean, know you were the crew chief or going to be? Uh, well, they figured it out. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Real that, quick, I'm sure. Point. Yeah. So, um, you know, we had a, a really good test. You know, I I, I just was watching, kind sure. of overlooking. You know, I told you know James. I mean, really great guy, really smart guy. You know, he worked with Mark Martin. I mean, he kind of grew up the same way I did. You know, and and Robert had him. You know, and Larry. You know, doing kind of things that that I was going to do till I made this decision. I actually had him as a uh, car chief there for a little bit, you know, working on the 88 car. It was an 88 Texaco car with Ernie. Went to Rockingham. Uh, was really good. And then uh, practice right before qualifying, you know, Ernie's still got the patch over the eye. You know, Rocky, That's right, because he's coming back. Yes, he's coming back. Still got the patch over the eye. And uh, I think he ran the week before at Wilkesboro. Ran re- really well. Yeah, really well. Yeah. And... Um, Went off in turn three. You know how driving off turn three early in the morning at Rockingham? Mm-hmm. The sun coming, the way the sun comes up? Sure. You can't see. And there was a car down the bottom. He didn't see it and plowed into the back of it. So it was right before qualifying. So we were trying to repair the car, get it ready. So I went out qualifying and just didn't get very many laps in practice. So didn't make the race. So next year, 1996, you're crew chief for Dale Jarrett. Mm-hmm. What was we've had Dale on the show, we've had Ernie on the show. Yep. There was a uh, awkwardness, I'll say, between Dale and his position at Yates, what he was what this might become, not become. Um, Ernie's coming back. They don't know what Ernie's gonna be post injury and and they not they're not a hundred percent on bought in on Dale just yet. Right. Right? And so there did you did you know in 1995? Hey, did they say to you, "All right, Ernie's going to run these races." When he comes back, though, he's going back to to yeah, 28 to 28. You with, knew with, that with Larry Mack, and you knew Dale was going to be your guy the, in '96. Sure, when you took the job, yes. yep, you knew Dale. That was, that was the whole reason, you know, the whole plan, the whole, yeah, the whole plan for this already in place, already in place, and he All was right. leaving Gibbs. Right? No, he was already at Yates. Oh, he, he was, was already driving, at Yates. He was already yeah, so, right. In 1995, he drove right. 28 so, car. That's right. All right. And, and DJ had some frustrations out, out of the gate. Once they got his, you know, setting the car up for him, he started running better. And you and him have four wins your first year. So what was that relationship right, like from the start with Dale Jarrett? You know, what kind of – what you know, I know what y'all become down the road in a few years. But what was it like out of the gate? Out of the gate was just like – me and him been together our lives. Had you? I, I grew. I grew you up. Grew with up him. around him. Yeah, I grew up around him. So I knew him. We hung out. You know what I'm saying? Go to restaurants and hang out at the local tavern. You know, whatever. But you know, I, I knew him. We always talked. Even in 1995. You know, I was working with Rusty. He's on 28 car. I mean, we're we're working side by side. At Charlotte in October was was what was so awkward is the two car was right beside the 28 car, <laughs> and. The fr- I could see the frustration in Dale's eyes because their car wasn't nearly yeah. as fast and driving as good as ours. You know, I could just t- I could sense it. You know, and I'm like, you know what? This might be a good new challenge for me. Yeah. You know, but I knew that going into it, that me and him had to have a relationship just like me and Rusty had. You know, I wasn't a crew chief, but I was his, I was yeah. his wingman. And so in 1996, going there. I mean, we went and tested Talladega a couple times and, you know, just like 
testing all these things, air boxes. I mean, you get, like you get a cardboard box full of air boxes and stuff. I mean, just crazy stuff. I mean, went to the wind tunnel several times. Guys built a really fast race car. Went to the Bush Clash. We qualified first, you know. I think qualified third for the Daytona 500. And then um, and then we won the Bush Clash. You know, first race actually. Yeah, that's always the first one. That's your yeah, fir- that's yeah your- first, ra- first race actually crew chief in for Dale Jarrett. Right. In the 88 car. Won the Bush Clash. Uh, I think we finished second in the duels. And then... The rest is history. You yeah. win the big. We we won, we won Daytona 500 and beat your dad. Yeah. What do you remember? Oh, I think you just answered the question. What do you remember? I mean, is is beating beating his dad? That I mean, that, well, that was no easy thing. Well, during the off season of nineteen between ninety five and ninety six, I mean, they did all these big press conferences and press releases. We went to we went up to Detroit, you know, at Ford Motor Company, and you know, for the unveiling of this car and this team. I mean. I mean, this is the this is the Ford car, right? Oh, that's against right. the GM Goodrich, the Chevrolet car. That's right. <laughs> it was the Dale and Dale shows. Ned yeah. says, you know. And so, you know, like I said, it's um, it was cool. It was it was you know, it's something I'll never forget. Um, never forget the interview. Winston Kelly did the post race interview with me, and which he's done several, you know, with, with my wins through the years. But uh, you know, it came down to the that point where I think your dad and them they put on two tires, and as soon as he put on two tires, me and Dale we put four tires on in last practice. You know, track was slick. That's back when track was slick, bumpy, and you had to handle. Yes. And um, we put on tires at the in practice on Saturday, and me and him were in the motorhome on Saturday night talking, and he says like, tires are gonna be important tomorrow. And I said, yeah, I know, I saw that. And they put on two tires, and we put on four, and you know, Dale come on the radio. He said he's 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 getting loose. <laughs> oh, the old, old black car's getting hard to drive. Yeah, Dale Jarrett saying that to you. Oh yeah, yeah. And I said, I said, okay, bud, just do your thing, and just went and turned three. And I think he washed up, and yeah, he just hugged the bottom. I mean, it wasn't easy. Like I said, he had help behind him. Sure, but our car was fast, and I think, like I said, Dale was taking care of it at the end. You know, he said he could have probably drove away from him. But he, if caution come out, then a little save a little. Yeah, it'd save a little. So from '96 to 2002, four wins, seven wins, three wins, four wins, two wins, four wins, two wins. So y'all are winning. You win a championship, two Daytona 500. Did you think it was gonna be that easy? Um, was it easy? Did it feel easy, Junior? I, I have so much confidence. I just like you. I grew up in this sport, and I I have confidence in myself, in my beliefs, and who I am, what I can do. If I had my, my blinders on and give the opportunity, I didn't think it would be easy, but you know what? I was given the opportunity with uh, unlimited resources. I mean, we went to the wind tunnel two times a week down in Marietta, Georgia. I mean, it was crazy. I, I actually got um, my wife at one time said, you got an apartment down there? <laughs> and I'm like, no, why? She goes, you're going down there twice a week. And we get on the King Air, we, you know, We'd load up, we'd go down there, you know. So we worked hard, yeah. You know, and and working hard in the hours that we needed to to work, it it didn't matter. You know, it wasn't nothing for us to to work all night long. You know, me yeah. and me and the guys in the fab shop, it, it was cra- it's crazy. It was like, no, we we're just we were so, oh, what's the word? We we're just so 
after it and wanted it so bad. All of us. Yeah. And the guys that I put around me, they all wanted it just as bad as I did. So it was like, never give up, never quit. Hey, Download Listeners, Supervising Producer Andrew Curlin here. Are supply chain issues still disrupting operations? Well, let me tell you, Graybar has you covered. They are the leader in distribution of electrical, communications, data networking, and industrial products. Professionals across the country rely on Graybar's nationwide logistics network to get them what they need, when and where they need it, and within budget. That's right, and they're operating with one clear mission, to serve as the vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. Let me tell you, here's what makes them different, is you know being able to effectively navigate supply chains to get products on site and on time is so crucial these days, and Graybar's nationwide logistics network is a game changer in keeping projects on task. So when you need a hand powering, connecting, or maintaining your operations, join thousands of professionals who rely on Graybar to help keep them up and running. Check out Graybar. Visit graybar.com to start an order today. There's a, there's a moment in 1998... Dale Earnhardt hasn't won the Daytona 500 all these years, and there's a moment that everyone remembers, and that's in his Victory Lane, <laughs> his Victory Lane interview. And you know, here's this emotion coming out of the Intimidator, and he he mentions two names, Bill France and Todd Parrott. Give us some context behind that. Oh man, so 1998, our car was okay. Your dad had a, it was stupid fast, like crazy fast. So his car in 1998 reminded me of that car that we had in 1988 with Rusty Wallace with all the tricks and bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we were like side beside each other because we were always, you know, it was a 24, the 3, and the 88 in the garage, and the 6, Mark Martin, yeah. those guys, all the time, every week, right beside each other. And uh, I was looking at that car, and I'm like, hmm, okay. Me and Dale, we went to the motor home that night, and um, – Saturday night after practice, and he's like, what are we going to do? He said, we, just, we, we don't have the speed. I said, can I tell you something, bud? You're not going to have the speed. Not this year. Mm. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you're not going to outrun that car. Mm. There's no way. Okay. They, they brought a bona fide hot rod Daytona. <laughs> okay. So we're, not, we're in the motorhome. I think it was 10 o'clock, 1030. You know, uh, it's just me and him. Kelly wasn't there. I walked out the motorhome. Literally opened the door on the motorhome, stepped down the step, and when I stepped down to the bottom step, your dad was making a beeline between, I can't remember if it was Rusty's motorhome, whose it was, you know, it's like, and your dad was coming, and i like, when I stepped out onto the ground, I'm like, I almost, like, just tackled him, ran into him. He said, hey, what are you doing, boy? I said, just uh, trying to figure out how we're going to beat you tomorrow. He says, do what? So you guys smart, y'all know how to do it? I say, bud, tomorrow, if everything goes right for you and you do your deal and the good Lord's looking after you, I said, tomorrow's your day. He said, what do you mean? Tomorrow's the day that you're going to win the Daytona 500. And he said, you think so? I said, Dale, I know so. (laughs) And so he goes and wins it. And now he's thanking the good Lord. And he's saying, this is for everybody that said this year, everybody's been saying, I can do it. This is my year. I'm going to do it. And he says, everybody from Mr. France to Todd Parrott. He says it. No, all the way at the top from uh, Mr. Bill, yeah. Bill France Jr. all the way down to the bottom. And <laughs> he did all, say that. All, yeah, he did. All the way down to the bottom and Todd Parrott and all the guys on the team. 
But right. I think it maybe it brought back the so when he was coming down Pitt Road, I mean everybody lined up. I mean it was that was probably one of the most spectacular moments in our sports history. Did you go out there? Oh yeah. Were you at? You at I stopped him. Did you really? Oh yeah. He he was shaking hands, clapping. I stood in front of the car, and he had to stop or he's going to run over me. And I stuck my head in there, and I said, "I told you so." He said, "You did." So I think he was probably when he got there, he's still thinking about what me and him talked about. Yeah, damn. You know what's interesting about you? I mean, you're 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 so honest and, and emotional, yeah. and and you know the Dale versus Dale and the Chevy versus Ford was a real thing. And so much we've had people on this show that have talked about that. That wasn't just marketing. I mean, people th- it was th- real. It was real. It was right? real life. But it seems that like Dale Earnhardt still evokes this type of emotion out of you. Oh yeah. So I'm only to assume that y'all were y'all were close of some. I mean, or, or what, what what was the relationship like? I mean, my dad was crew chief in 1976, and that's still in your mind. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, there was. I history. grew up around his dad. I mean, I'll never forget the summers that you get down 150 now down past the uh, QT um, in front of the uh, shooting range down there. His house was on the mm-hmm. lake right down the street. Yep. Well, in the summertime, me and Red Dog we go down <laughs> to his house on the lake. And an old, um, remember, I'm sure you've seen pictures of the old gold Glastron boat with the, uh, uh, what do you call them now, on the, the, the outboard engine on the back? Yeah. And your dad would take us water skiing, me and Red Dog and Doug Richard. No kid. Yeah. I've got pictures somewhere. <laughs> I couldn't find them. But I, but, I, but I have pictures of me and him sitting on the back of the boat and your dad sitting up in the seat, you know, turn around. So I've got a lot of history, a lot of memories, and just like I said, just I grew up in that era. Pretty awesome, you yeah. know. Every, everybody that remembers, everybody that remembers you is obviously aware of your success with Dale Jarrett. After two thousand and two, you went to crew chief for Elliot Sadler. So yeah, the end of toward the end of two thousand two, we were at Texas. I made a snide comment. Like what? Like maybe this guy just can't get it done no more. You said something about DJ. Say, yeah, yeah. So why, after all those years and all that success, would you and DJ get? I was frust- I was frustrated because you know we just couldn't figure things out. Yeah. You know we just didn't have the speed that we needed to have. And I was frustrated, and just like all crew chiefs have their personalities and get aggravated at race car drivers. And like I said, it, it was like a marriage. You know, I mean, husband and wife. You said something. He took it personal. He wasn't there to hear it, but oh, uh, there but was he... somebody in the trailer that was a sponsor. <laughs> you were in there, your hauler, uh-huh. and said it. Yeah, and to, somebody overheard yeah. it. I was in my hauler and said it to another person on our team. Damn. And sponsor people were up. If at I front was of DJ, my feels be hurt. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah. 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 So and and it got back to Robert actually. Uh oh. Which led to my um. Sabbatical Com- company <laughs> took a break. My, yeah, my, yeah, my my company break. I was still getting paid, fortunately, and um, things weren't going good. You know, there for Robert and he called me up, and said, "Hey, listen, I want you to come crew chief uh, the thirty eight car for Elliot." Said, "You ready? Come back." Said, "You got all, you got all your anger out." I'm like, I, "Yeah, I had it out. I'm just yeah, I made the wrong comment at the wrong time. I didn't mean it. I love this guy. I mean, he's like my brother." You know, but somebody else heard it, and it's just it's the way it is. Yeah. It's, the way, it's the way the sport is. Yeah, you know, you crew chief for a year and a half, and then you end up back with DJ. So yeah, so how so, does that happen? 
How the hell did DJ even <laughs> say, huh? Yeah, sure. This sounds like a good a good idea. It's like a it's like a marriage, and then a, you know you you get married, you have a divorce, and then okay, well we're gonna get back together. Realize yeah. how good you had it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, me and Elliot, I mean, we had a very successful 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to be with him uh, when he won his two cup races. He won it with the Woods Brothers. We won at Texas in a in a duel with Casey Kane and. Um, the nine car at uh, California, and then same thing happened at Texas. And uh, I think we, we made the chase, 2004. Things are going great. 2005 come around. Um, things aren't really going that great. And Robert comes up to me and says, hey, listen, I need to make a change. I said, okay, what you want to do? He says, well, I'm going to put you back with DJ. I think it was right before the, the chase started. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put uh, Kevin Buzzkirk. We, who was my engineer mm-hmm. at the time, um, I'm going to put him with uh, Elliot. I'm like, okay, is that what you want to do? He said, yep. I'm like, you're the boss. I'll do whatever. I looked him straight in the eyes. I said, I'm going to promise you, and I'm going to tell you that I'm going to win a race with Del Jarrett before the end of this year. Oh. He said, really? <laughs> <laughs> he said, the team's not having a whole lot of luck. I said, I promise you, okay, I will win. And we did. We won Talladega, two thousand five. Yeah. How did that happen? How, how did you guys win at Talladega? How did that happen? Um, we had a guy up there spotting for us, who one of the most incredible spotters that, that I've ever heard on the radio, spotting for us, and I think came down to the end. I'm, Dale was behind Tony yeah. Stewart that, racing, and they come through the trioval and they're kind of moving all around. And Eddie DeHunt, who's Chase Elliott's spotter today at Hendrick Motorsports called him and, like, just somehow miraculously just worked him through the field. Oh, so Eddie DeHunt was the spotter. Eddie DeHunt was the spotter. Oh, he's still spotting. Yeah. Yep. Yep, he yeah. is. I, I checked the results of that. You crashed, mm-hmm. Dale, so I don't know what happened to you. But I don't that, either. <laughs> <laughs> so, just so you know. Yeah. So uh, that was 2005. And then in 2010, your crew chief, <laughs> Matt Kenseth. So they get to midpoint in 2000, I don't know, it's crew chief in Kent, so it's 2009, yeah. So it was after Daytona 500, and uh, we have this big sit-down, and it's Robbie Reiser, Jack Roush, Matt Kenseth, all the head honchos, you know, at Roush Fenway, and like I said, Jimmy Finnig and, um, and Reiser. And we sit down, and, you know, because I'm a Speedway program, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And they're like, hey, we got to make a change on this uh, 17 car. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And we're going to make a crew chief change. Immediately, I look over at Jimmy Finney, and I say, that's your guy right there. Because yeah. I'm enjoying him doing what I'm doing. And him and Riser both pointed and, and go, nope, you're going to do it. So I got the call to be Kenseth's crew chief. How did you enjoy that? I loved it. Matt Kenseth is probably one of the most underrated Race car drivers. Yeah. I mean, in the sport. He's quiet, but he's like, kind of like David Pearson. Yeah. You know, he'll just sneak up on you and, you know, and there he is. Why did you leave Yates the first time? After 2005, you just won a race with DJ. Why did you leave to go to Petty? uh, It was a decision made by somebody. So, so you, it wasn't your decision? No, it wasn't my decision. It was, uh, it was kind of the new regime, people running the place and, you know, Robert's. 
trying to change things up. He's you know got all these sponsors, driver talks, you know, and all this stuff. And okay, and, so um, with all you, are, there's a lot of change, right? Yeah. In, in that particular, I mean, it's we're talking yeah. from you know from from 2005 yeah. to you know probably around 2013. There's a lot of movement. Yeah. But even up to 2013, you put fast cars on the racetrack. Right. You know, you and I have had conversations that, you know, t 2013 started a lot of change for you. The ensuing years that happens, probably the toughest part of your life. Is that accurate to say? Oh, yeah. You know, the, you know from a personal standpoint. Absolutely. T tell me where, walk me through, to, start, you know, walk me through this 2013 and, and from a personal level, managing things and how, how you were able to deal with it. Obviously, it was well documented. You know, you, you were suspended by NASCAR. Mm -hmm. What happens, and where, where's your mind at that point? Well, 2012, you know, they moved me over with Eric Almarola, and we had Smithfield, you know, and it was a 43 right. car, 2012. And then 2013, NASCAR took away, you know, changed some rules about some truck arm bushings, stuff like that. We had some pretty good tricks going on. Rear bar, you know, being able to set the timing on the rear bar and – yeah. So you're still being innovative. Very, very innovative. <laughs> yes. And taking a 400 pound spring and making it think it's a 1500 pound spring with just having a rear bar in it. You know, so 2013, we struggled a little bit. As we struggled as a team, I just got to a point where, I don't know, I was just struggling personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I had some things going on in the background, you know, and just got caught up at the wrong place, wrong time. And, like I said, just failed the uh, failed the drug test and mm -hmm. went on to the. Um, it was the day after that I, that happened. I, I remember the date, October seventeenth, two thousand thirteen. It was ten o'clock in the morning. I was at the nail salon <laughs> with my wife and got the phone call. Number comes up. It's eight six six number. One of those numbers that. You don't normally see it. You don't see it unless it's a bill collector or something like that. Right, so that number, you don't answer these no, days. No, <laughs> but I, I knew I knew that it was going to happen. I knew what happened. Really? Yeah. I knew I knew it was I, – yeah, I, I knew that, that I wasn't going to pass. And when I saw that number come up, I told my wife, I said, listen, I got to go out in the parking lot and get this number. She said, who is it? I said, I just need to go get it. Damn. And uh, that was whoop, it. It was hard. And uh, they they called me, told me I had to go back inside and tell her she's getting her toenails, feet done, and you know she's like, it was it wasn't pretty. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You know, and then the phone calls after that I made, you know, were to you know, first phone call I made was to HR lady Libby Gant at Richard Payton Motorsports, and um, Sammy Johns was the competition director, and they'd already known about it because NASCAR had already called them. I called my mom, so. Right after that, the next phone call I made was to my mother. You, you know, I remember all this, and and it was documented. I mean, you were you were one of the top crew chiefs in the whole sport, and now you're going through this. So it obviously made news. Yeah. One of the things I remember though, Todd, was that you seemed pretty determined right away to get back. I mean, like you weren't. Is that is that uh, an accurate yeah. way of saying it? I yeah. mean, like, I, I mean, I knew I made a mistake. Okay, I got caught up in the wrong thing. I was doing the wrong. You know, that's it. I'm just doing a bad thing. People make them. People, people make, make mistakes. mistakes. You know, they get caught doing stuff. Sure. You know, that aren't what you need to be doing. And just unfortunately, I was that guy that got the. You know, I was spinning the spinning the uh, the the ball. You know, to, for qualifying draw, and you know, I got the got yeah. that call. But um, when I went down to the shop, uh, I was down there. That was ten o'clock. I was down at the shop at 
11.30, you know, down in Concord. And I uh, went in, saw Libby, saw Sammy. You know, they explained to me what they needed to do, you know, turn my hard card in and all that stuff. And as soon as I walked out that door, as soon as I walked out the door, I called John Bobo, who's in charge of uh, NASCAR substance abuse program, and told him, said, listen, I, I messed up, I know, but you tell me what I have to do to right. get back. Right. Because I'm better than this. Mm. You know, so. So how did that experience go? How was that, you know, getting back? Was it was, it, was it, it smooth? Was it successful? Was it? Yeah, yeah, it was it, very, yeah, it's very it, successful. Did it did it stick? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was something that I mean, I mean, I just embarrassed my whole family, me as a person, the su- success that I'd had. You know, talking about all the stuff, it wasn't me. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I knew I had to do it. You know, and you know, like I said I had classes and you know taking random drug tests and things like that. I mean, it was just you never knew whenever you. You were going to have to go do it. And um, I think that lasted from, let's say, 17th, so probably the middle of October, all of November, all of December. And I think it was uh, January 7th, right before Daytona testing, that I got reinstated. What's that feeling like? Good. Yeah, real good. You I know? bet. Yeah. So actually, the, uh, the, night bef- the night I got the phone call from John Bobo, you know, that Everything was good. I was reinstated. The next day, uh, me and my dad got in the car and drove to Daytona and went to the January test at Daytona. And, you know, I wasn't going to hide. Walked around the garage, talked to Ed, Lenny Wood, um, all my friends, you know. And they're like, man, really? Like, yep, happens to the best of us. Yeah. And um, I saw Tommy Baldwin, and he said, hey, listen, when you get home, give me a call. And... And you went to Baldwin's. Yeah. You, 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 that's where you spent 2014. Yeah, 2014 I was there and um, working with Reed Sorensen, you know, back the whole full season. And um, the end of 2014, it was right before Thanksgiving, Tommy called me up shop. We are Thanksgiving holidays, and uh, Tommy says, I don't think I'm going to be able to race next year. I'm like, really? And he says, no. He said, but I got some people that are really, really interested in you. And I said, who's that? He said, Richard Childers, mm. Mike Dillon, Eric Warren. Mm-hmm. I'm like, at RCR? <laughs> he said, yeah. Because we were getting cars and stuff from them. And um, I'll never forget uh, that night that I got home, it was right before Thanksgiving, um, Richard called because Tommy gave me his number. And uh, he called and said, hey, listen, I want you to come uh, run this Xfinity program for me. I'm like, what do you mean run the Xfinity program? Like when crew chief said, no, I want you to come be the competition director for these four teams. And I'm like, wow, okay. That's got to be an amazing feeling. I mean, oh. like, it's got to be this, if not more than even the reinstatement. I mean, it, now you got legit guy I mean, at the top, this Richard is, Childress. This is Richard Childress. This is Richard Childress. This is his Xfinity program. And you know, because you've driven his Xfinity cars, and I heard you talking about that Oreo car and yeah. all that stuff. His Xfinity program, the way he looks at it, is means as much to him or more than his cup program. Yeah. You know, so I knew that and um, went down there, like I said, and talked to Mike Dillon, Eric Warren, and they put me in charge running, you know, with all those different different crew chiefs. And, you know, now I'm working with four different personalities. You know, uh, had Shane, Mike Hillman Jr., uh, Danny Stockman, Dick Harrison. Four totally different, four guys yeah. with totally different personalities 
and four totally different thoughts yeah. about how to make cars go fast and what they want to do. So I was there 2015, 16, um, and then I went, like I said, went, Mike went down. Like, okay, so you get this opportunity at Richards to sort of oversee this um, Xfinity program. You talked about how important that program is to Richard, and this is a really great opportunity for you to sort of establish yourself back into the fold in the industry. What was the, what did that opportunity go away? No. Or what was the draw to make you leave and go to Levine Family Racing with McDowell? What was that draw? Well, in 2015, things were going so good with the Xfinity program. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were winning races and uh, sitting on poles. Cars were all, like, all four of them were in the top six or seven in points. Ryan Scott come along, and he wanted to go cup racing. I think that's at the time Richard had taken and moved Gil Martin out of the three car and brought Slugger in. And um, so Brian Scott wanted to go cup racing, bring Shore Lodge on as a sponsor and all that stuff. So he had to come on, come on board. And Richard says, I want you to come crew chief this fit, this car for, for Brian Scott. I'm like, well, what about this other guy? Been here forever. Yeah. He said, no, Brian wants you because your relationship that you built with him with the Xfinity program and just feels like your background, the way you talk about things, the way you do things, will really benefit it. And um, actually, I think I ran, so that was 15. I actually went to crew chief for AJ at JTG at the end of 2015, a few races, mm-hmm. and then with Brian still driving, kind of like six or seven races with him. And then 2016, ran Daytona 500 with uh, Ty Dillon. So basically, I was kind of out of the Xfinity side of it and he brought gill yeah and they gill. were just you were just feeling a filling a role here and yeah, there kind of doing the r&d stuff yep you know pretty much for the cup you know mm-hmm. the fifth cup car whatever you want to call it crew chief ty dillon um brian scott different things like that and then um i went and crew chief for uh, mcdowell mm-hmm. bob levine called said you know told richards you know because we had a relationship so basically 2016 they made me uh, they gave me a title as the uh, the RCR um, competition liaison, whatever, for the um, alliance teams. Yeah. So basically, I was in charge of that. And then, like I said, end of 2016, Bob Lyon called Richard, say, listen, I want this guy to come crew chief, crew chief for me. Time. Well, he actually but, wanted me to come just crew chief the last few yeah. races. And things okay. went so well, you know, he said, I'd like to have you full-time. In 2017. So you did? Yep. How'd that go? Great. My time with Michael McDowell um, reminded me a lot of the time with uh, DJ. Mm. How so? That relates. Because it's like me and him built a relationship. Like, here's the guy that's struggling. He might be at the end of his career if he don't start doing well. Mm-hmm. I'm coming in kind of from a, a, a bad part of my career. I want to make this whole program better, which we did. I mean, we, we ran fast in 2017. I can't help but ask you then, seeing Michael McDowell, fast forward to this year, I mean, like seeing Michael McDowell's success and winning the Daytona 500. Now, I'm, you're an emotional guy. Yeah. When he crossed that finish line, what was your feeling? Oh, it was big. It was big. Did oh, you, yeah. Did you have a yeah. big, big cry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was very happy for him. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know if he'd got around to victory lane yet before I'd sent him a message. I was at home watching it, and... um. Yeah. Told him how proud I was. Um, he sent me a message back. He said, man, I appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. everything you did for me. Yeah. You know, because he left there. Uh, in 2017 is when, you know, Bob was going to bring in Casey, uh, Casey Kane, 
and they were going to bring in a crew chief from Hendrick to work with Casey, which was Travis Mack, which we had time with here. So I was the odd man out again. Yeah. You know, so from there, it's kind of like been, it's been hit and miss. Yeah. But I'm still good. I'm still passionate. I can still make race cars go fast. Yeah. I, I wanted uh, to ask you, how how are you today? How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Yeah. Still emotional. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's, look, that's, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's an endearing quality about you, man. Yeah. I really do. And you know another thing? Uh, I, I think when it comes to people's legacies, you know, for the most part, I can't speak for everyone, but for the most part, I think everyone's always looking for opportunities to forgive and show grace. Yeah. I think that's a human instinct for the most part. And all people require is just, you know, own own your flaws, man. Yeah. And and don't sit there and try to be perfect and sit there and deny and, you know, make excuses. Dude, you've owned everything, every part of you. I've made the mis- goods and the bads. I made mistakes. I know that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that, that that's an, you know, a lot of people ask Dale Jr. and I at times, but, you know, you got a lot of these young drivers and a lot of the, you know, seeking advice or whatever it is. Dale and I have gone and talked to, you know, a couple rookie classes a time, time or two. And I just wish I could tell them, listen, you guys are just going – you are going to screw up and you are going to do things that may be embarrassing. Just own it. It's so much easier. Man, everybody wants to forgive. Just yeah. give them the reason to. I mean, you, you got you got one here now that's passion and heart and the will to win and just drive a fast race car, you know, yeah. in the last few weeks. Got a lot of criticism. You must no, be talking, talking about, about Noah. Noah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Noah. You don't want to take a guy with that much – talent and just uh just raw talent to go fast you know you just don't want to put the reins on him and just yeah. and pull him back yeah. you, you don't you don't you don't want to do that yeah but you have to talk to him you know and you're that's the hardest thing to try to figure out how to do is to try to tell a guy like that how to do things differently without doing it without doing it slower right no yeah not, don't because he has that fire and that tenacity yeah. in him, and I, yeah. I'm just kind of letting him run this year. It might be the wrong decision. But <laughs> it might be the wrong decision, right? Hey. It might be the wrong choice to make. But I'm for right now, I'm gonna just let him keep going. The yeah. ki- the kid's a wheel man. He can drive. I think yeah. he's got a lot of talent, yeah. and but he's young. He's got a he just, he's just, got a bunch more yeah. mistakes to make. Sure. And I'm not, and nobody's gonna be able to tell him anything nope. to avoid those mistakes. He's nope. got to go make them. Yeah. But back to you, man. You you want to make it clear, like you still got some left in you. You got something in the tank. Yep, I do. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I can go somewhere and bring some a lot of knowledge. I still haven't forgot how to make race cars go fast. You know, I still watch practices when I'm not working down here down the street here at my my new home at uh, Lowe's yeah. Home Improvement, which I've been really enjoyed working there. My my heart's for sure right here. Yeah, you, you know? want to be in that garage. Yeah, I want to be in that garage. I think that that's what I see when I look at this piece of paper. And I know, you know, this sheet of paper doesn't tell someone who you are as a crew chief and and your impact on this sport. But I see the changes that have been made in your career, whether you've made them or someone else made those changes. But the one thing that I see is you take every opportunity you can to get back into the garage. Like you've been put in positions of overseeing this department or overseeing – these few teams or or handling this but right. if you got an opportunity to get back on top of a pit box you took it yep um no matter what so um you know that's always that's that's pretty interesting to me yeah even if it was a shop guy you know just yeah. i mean just somebody to to help all the young kids yeah. coming around in the but sport I, 
But I think it's you know I think that's exactly what that says to me is that you want to be on that box. You want to be you you need to be a voice a voice that needs to be heard. You know you need to be on that box calling a race for a car. You want to be figuring the strategy. You want to be making the calls. You want to be setting up preparing the team for the week ahead. You want to be communicating with the driver and all those things, and that's just ingrained in you. That's all I know. Yeah, thirty six years. Boy, you got it, man. You got some experience. Yeah, I mean, if you, it, it's crazy. If you look at that picture of, uh, you know, 1971, you know, me and Victor Lane at Daytona. Oh, the, the early one. Yeah, the early one. That's 50 years ago. Yeah. You know, so I've been doing this, been a part of it for 50 years. Yeah. Well, man, I don't know. I hope you get that opportunity. I, hope I appreciate that- it. I hope that them them opportunities are still out there for you, and and I know you're happy where you are and happy doing what you are today. And a would, great family would be yeah. You you got you put yourself in a pretty good position, but uh, it'd be interesting to see you get another shot at it. I appreciate it. Thanks. I'm, re- I'm ready. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for spending some time <laughs> with us today. We got more stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, we got a, we never did get to tell tell everybody where the powder nickname came from. Yeah. I guess we could. Is do there that. a quick? Is there a quick yeah, version a of quick that? Version I mean, like, just... so I never wore shorts. All right, let's just start with that. That's all you had to say. <laughs> um, I never, I never wore shorts ever, and I was either in a driver's uniform or wearing jeans to get down, you know, on my knees and work on a car. You, you don't wear shorts with working on a race car. Wrangle jeans at that. Yeah. You just never, you never wore shorts working on a race car. You weren't going to do that. And so we went to Jamaica. Uh, there was a NASCAR sort of package trip thing that Air Jamaica Vacations put together. They brought him along and me and a few other drivers and crew chiefs and other people in the industry. And we basically got to hang out at a hotel, uh, an amazing experience for a so week. So much fun. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, a blast. Crazy fun. Yeah. And they brought in a bunch of race fans and sold these vacation package, packages to the fans. And we would, you know, we'd, we'd mm. play volleyball or drink and hang out with the fans and do whatever during the whole week, right? Yeah, of course, I come out <laughs> on the beach with my shorts. And and the movie, you remember the movie Powder? The guy that could yeah. bend spoons? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, Powder! <laughs> and so from that moment on, every time we saw each other at the track, he would holler that. <laughs> and I'm looking around. Yeah, he'd, he'd be on the other side of the garage, and I'd say, hey, Powder! <laughs> yeah, because yeah, of my pale, pasty complexion. Can we get away with calling you that today at this, in this, inside this Come shop? whatever you want. Oh really? Yeah, sure. Look at him. Isn't that yeah. a good, just, he's he's amazing. Yeah, he brought, I can't roll it. Amazing I, dude. I say this, man. Like when you're when you're that pale, you have to embrace it. Hey, this is a show about people owning it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. There's I a new can't, argument to be made. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I can't hide. I yeah. can't hide it either. I mean, like I, I wear. Oh yeah, I'm always in work pants. Yeah. yeah. First of all, yeah, you come off as a guy that really just like wears everything on your sleeve. You're not going to be able to keep a secret or anything. No. And no. yeah, and you're just pasty. I mean, what are you going to do? Or deny it? There's no. There, you're saying there was no time you're like, I wonder if Todd's overreacting a little bit. Never, you know? no. never. never. I appreciate it. You know what? Because so, you know, Buddy Parrott's this amazing crew chief. This I love history, right? You know that I. You yeah. know that I can't get enough of that. He's an icon. I knew Todd when you know I was a little boy, mm-hmm. watching Todd in the pits, glue tires, and work on Rusty's car and all that throughout the 80s and the 90s and wanted him, I wanted to be their friend, right? Him, mm-hmm. uh, Brad, uh, all that, you know, those younger guys that were sort of the, the grunt mechanics mm-hmm. working on those teams, I wanted them to know who I you was. Want, you, you wanted to be like us. I want to be like them. Yeah. 
And so when they would talk to me or, you know, acknowledge me, that was pretty cool. And so I grew up un- I grew up under him all that. You know, so mm. when he's crew chief in Del Jarrett and I come onto the scene and I'm racing, he started, he would encourage me. We'd be in the pits or the garage if we ever crossed paths. Todd Parrott would always say something encouraging, always say something nice, always say something that made you feel like you were important uh, or he valued you. And yeah. that was always a great trait of yours. Thank you. And so... You know, and he goes, you know, he goes on, wins a championship, becomes a championship crew chief and all that, but just always been great to me. I always appreciate that, appreciate that about him. And I always felt that. Yeah, absolutely. I always felt we had a, we we had a great friendship. I don't, you know, I I hope that he appreciated my appreciation for the history and maybe that's why he, he. And, and, you know, talk about stories, stuff like that. I'll never forget uh, the Winston. You remember the Winston, right? Yeah. The year that. Oh, that's right. He passed Del Jr. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lap to go. Yeah. Yeah, you won the Winston. Man, I, I just knew that we were going to win that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, wait, and our car started handling bad. And Y'all had a smoking uh, rear yeah. issue or oh, something, yeah. too. Yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we had it, like, covered. And, I mean, we were like a half a straightaway or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and started, like, here comes powder. Yeah. Look out. <laughs> yeah. here That's what you're saying. You're hooked up. Yeah, here he comes. He's Did y'all put up. on tires at the end? Because I remember they went and got four <laughs> tires on. What happened? It was, uh, I probably stayed out. Probably made, probably <laughs> I mean, made a stupid mistake. Half the people stayed out. That's yeah. Right. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That was one of them deals. That was one of them races where you did everything you could to win it because running second, it didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah, you just did whatever you could to win it, and it right. didn't matter. You're seeing the pictures that you've posted, I think, on Twitter, stuff like that, you know, of your dad and. And you and, um, you know, the picture, the thing that sticks out to me is the picture of him up on top of the uh, truck. And uh, Richmond. Yeah, yeah, on top of the truck. Watch it. Yeah, watching oh. watching his dad. You know, it reminds me of me when I was a kid, mm. you know, back then on top of the truck. And um, yeah, I so think, many memories of, of him and his family. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think that's it. I think the, the relationship that we've had is that respect and uh similarities between how you you add you adore your daddy um you and brad both like he is the man yeah right and so yeah we but you know how i feel about my daddy and i think that there's that similarity you grew up in the sport sort of following him just like i followed my dad yep and so there's a lot of a lot of similarities there too i think that that sort of our our family's like that it it started in 1976 when my dad got the opportunity to the crew chief for him Mm -hmm. you know and my dad was working on the dirt cars you know you, you've talked about you know missing the days when your dad drove the dirt car at metro line mm-hmm. concord and all that stuff well my dad was mechanic with robert g on that 17 car when he used to race at concord and metro Lina against billy scott haywood plyer and, and all those guys so i mean i was that kid standing on that truck watching your dad as my dad was working on the car that's awesome you know, so, I mean, it's like, it gives me goosebumps. I bet. Well, man, we appreciate you coming to tell your story. Yeah, I appreciate you having a lot. me. People are going to love to hear from you. You know, we have a lot of legends come in this door and yeah. sit down at this table. Yeah. You're one of them. Yeah. They love hearing from you guys. Yeah. We hope you, uh, you know, we hope you get another opportunity and get to see you back up on top of Pit Box calling some races for somebody one day, helping somebody to make it. And uh, until then, man, we'll see you around, buddy. Thank All you. Right. Thank you, Powder. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you guys having me. It's really, it. it's been really, really special to me.
Hey everyone, Dirty Mo Media President Mike Davis here. Excited to tell you about one of our newest sponsors at Dirty Mo, Airbnb. The irony here is that Airbnb is new to Dirty Mo Media, but Dirty Mo Media is not new to Airbnb. It has been accommodating us for years. And if you are a race fan, and I think you are, you know why. I mean, you've booked hotels at, uh, during a race weekend. They're, the prices are insane. You're stuck with these unreasonable multi-night minimums. Whereas Airbnb, you got many choices, all within proximity, and it ends up being way more affordable. Now, I'm not only a frequent Airbnb guest, but my wife and I are also Airbnb hosts. And you should be too. We've been doing it for years. I'll tell you why. We have an investment property that we realized it could be earning additional income through Airbnb. You don't have to have an investment property to do that. You could just find extra space in your home. That works too. It all could be making you some extra cash. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. This is the Ask Jr. part of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we've had a great conversation already, and uh, but um, we got some questions uh, from Leah. So, uh, Leah, let's get started. Yeah, we got a lot of questions. You had some fun on Friday taking the Nova out, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the Nova's been ready uh, for a while. Uh, it's been sitting right here um, on, the, on the side of the studio uh, for a couple months, several months, and... Um, my plan, I've been in touch with Kerry Tharp at Darlington Motor Speedway for over about a, about a year probably about taking the car and, and leading the field uh, during the pace laps in the Xfinity race. This is a Bush car, uh, which is the Xfinity series now. It should probably lead that field if it's ever going to do anything like that. So I told him when the car was ready, I'd bring it up there. I'm going to take it up there on a, on a gooseneck trailer, uh, pull into the track, unload it, put it up there in front of the field, uh, do the pace laps pull it back into the to the pits and up on the trailer and probably take it home. So uh, that's going to be the deal as far as I know right now. And uh, we needed to make sure that the car was set up, meaning that the rear and housing was in it straight and it has the right caster and camber and the toe settings and everything. So just that it drives in the right direction um, and looks good doing it. So um, we, we put it on the uh, surface plate over here and got to work on it last Friday and it, it came to it was really surprising to me actually how quickly it was to set up so uh the rear end doesn't have any adjustments in the trailing arms they bolt right in there's no you know shimming them one way or the other uh which uh, uh is what a lot of cars have today so the bolt that's fixed you just bolt that right in so the rear end housing is either too far to the left or too far to the right and you just adjust the track bar uh, to get the rear end housing straight. We we squared up the rear end housing in the back of the car. We set the track bar at nine and three quarter on both sides just to leave it even and flat. And then we went to the front and uh, the caster and the camber, we had to make like two little shim changes to get that right. We we set the toe and uh, measured the, uh, the tread width of the car. You want it a little bit longer on the left side because you want the left front tire to get to the corner first. And uh, so it's about a half inch or a quarter inch longer on the left side, like it's supposed to be. All that was automatic, just fell right into place. Um, we had tightened up all of the uh, suspension components and heim joints and everything to, 
to make sure nothing falls off. I'm going to take it to Charlotte Merge Speedway in a couple of days just to roll around there at about 50 or 60 miles an hour, four or five laps, make sure nothing funky happens, no leaks, nothing breaks, and the car doesn't run hot or anything crazy like that because we don't want to have any problems that would uh, that would affect the race itself uh, in Darlington. So, yeah, I'm really nervous. Nervous only because I don't want to have a problem that affects the race, right? You don't want to do anything that's going to uh, mess with the show. So, uh, but hopefully it, it's going to look beautiful on the racetrack. It looked great in the videos of us driving around here in the, uh, in the industrial parking lot and, um, the complex here at, at junior motorsports. It looked great in those videos. So I know it's going to be awesome on the track. Our next question coming from Mir E-Racing. Hey Dale, how do you feel about Kyle Larson's win at Vegas? Is Hendrick Motorsports the top dog this year? Well, if you watch the, uh, NBC's uh, season preview show. Uh, I thought that I said that I think Kyle will be a Final Four uh, championship contender, uh, run deep into the playoffs, and that really, that really is looking like a pretty good bet. Uh, and they haven't even got to the dirt race at Bristol, and he's already got a wind under his belt. So, um, I think that the confidence and all those things after a win like that, a stage win, just he's gonna he's gonna start accumulating these important playoff points and those things that are gonna that are gonna help carry you deep into the playoffs and get you that opportunity to be that in that final four at the final race of the year. So um, I think it's just gonna naturally uh, be a pretty solid season for for the five car, and um, which is uh, it'll be interesting to see what how that affects the rest of the company. All the cars kind of feed off of each other, and and it, I it just it really is shocking to me, not shocking, but it's really surprising how all these teams sort of ebb and flow from the top to to not too good back to the top. I mean, there was a moment when Chevy wasn't good, the you know the no Chevy team was doing well. They get a new car, things get a little bit better, uh, but still uh, you have the Fords and the Toyotas more dominant than, than the Chevrolets. And then last year, Chase wins the championship, and now everybody's looking at Hendrick and Chevrolet as the maybe the top team, you know, the best-performing team organization overall. So they're in the debate. They weren't, uh, but now they are. And... There are other teams that were at the top or are now maybe struggling a little bit. Like, I was shocked at how Harvick ran this past weekend. I had him in my fantasy lineup. Uh, I had to pull him before the end of Stage 2, which you you never did last year or the year before. Harvick was automatic. If you put him in there, you were, he was, you were, you were sticking with that. Um, so, it's just like junior motorsports this year. Like, we are, we are struggling. But we've had these years. You know, we'll, we'll – we just come out of the gate and can't get anything going, can't find any speed, and then then it it just happens. You start running well again for whatever reason. You make some changes or in the organization, things get better. But that that's shocking to me. You know that you set you you hang around the sport long enough and you see those teams rise and fall. Uh, and we we're we're sitting in a building of one of those teams that that does that very thing. And right now, Hendricks on the rise. I don't think we've even seen the best of them yet. Our next question coming from Jessna Woods. We all know that you love racing history, but there is there an era or subject in history that you enjoy? Oh, yeah. So I've been playing this game. Uh, 
on Steam on the PC. Hell Let Loose is the name of it. And it's basically a World War II shooter. And uh, when I get into something like that, I want to learn more about, you know, the real, you know, the real history of the war itself. And uh, I kind of always have been interested in, um, you know, I'm interested in abandoned racetracks. I'm interested in, there's some accounts on, on, uh, there's a, there's some accounts on Instagram that'll do these, you know, this, here's new, here's Times Square in, in 1920 and here's Times Square today, this very same picture, right? And you can, that to me just is really interesting to see the growth and change uh, and, or what is the same, right? Some of the architecture and some of the buildings literally have not changed at all uh, and have been around over at, at 100 years, right? I don't know why that, that's cool to me, but um, I can have that same experience when I'm thinking about World War II and some of those battlegrounds, some of those places where the war took place, what they look like today, um, people actually go and and uh, and explore those sites. You can watch those videos on YouTube, and I spend some time doing that. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of watch historic footage of some of those locations and then see people explore those locations today. I don't know why I find that fascinating, but I always have, and I've that, I have that exact, exact same experience when I go to a lost speedway. You know, we've talked about, me and Mike have kind of... We still we we started Lost Speedways. What? How long ago? Uh, I mean, last the year conversations. Was, oh, the, oh, two years ago. Right. And we still, I think today, I think Mike is still today learning like what Lost Speedways is to me. Like, what do I get out of Lost Speedways? What am I there to achieve or accomplish? What's the enjoyment factor for me? And it's really that explore. And so. Um, I, I do I find that sort of fascination in in a lot of World War II stuff. Yeah. So there. Cool. Uh one more question coming from Michael Erickson. What's your favorite kid show that Isla watches? Yeah, she loves Peppa Pig and she's got a few others uh that she watches. Um she loves Frozen and and, and Elsa and Anna. And um she wants one of us to be Anna, she wants to be Elsa, so it's she gets the dolls, or she's either wearing the dress and she's physically Elsa, but she's like, "You're Anna, <laughs> and you're gonna be Anna right now, and I'm gonna talk to you, and you talk back, you're Anna, right? And if you say, if you don't fall in line, right, and if you step out of line and say, "But Isla," she goes, I'm "Not Isla, I'm Elsa." <laughs> you'll 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 call me Elsa. So uh, it's weird. Um, I, I feel weird, you know, when I sit down and 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 we play. It, it's a it's a unique experience, new experience for me, Mike. I mean, you're a dad. Uh, when the first time your daughter handed you a doll and said, "Let's play," yeah, yeah, it, that's it, a change. It's a just and it's adjustment. Or the time they want to paint your toenails and fingernails. Has that happened? That to you yet? part I'm not too worried about. Really? As much? Yeah, because... I'm not worried. I'm worried it wouldn't be the right word, but like... I guess worried ain't the right word, but that part, I'm not... I'm, I'm, I don't want to want to dress up entirely, you know, but <laughs> right. if she wants to mark on my face or, or paint a, paint my nails a fun color, I could get into that because I can go wipe that off. 
I had a blast playing with Isla in our office the other day. I know. She, she, we, I think we went in a solid hour. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, I'm not saying this just because you're sitting here, but like you, TJ, I learned so much watching y'all sort of dad. Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I have no uh, playbook. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I got to watch you. I got to watch TJ and other people and go, I like that. I like that move. That's a good one. The old golf magic golf ball yeah. showing up in her ear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I that's found a, good one. a lot of golf balls in Isla's ear. I bet. And she's she turned, find another one, find another. You know, she 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 yeah. says she got a lot of golf balls in her ear. So I just <laughs> keep pulling them out. He's good at it. He's good. At, I mean, you know, I <laughs> I can't entertain her that way, or I'm not as creative mentally to entertain her in a moment. And um, he can just turn it on, and she's just she's she's loving it. She sit there all day and and talk to Mike. I was proud of that one because she was in a bad mood when she showed up, and yeah. we got that changed quick. We did. Thanks a lot for uh, supporting our YouTube channel, supporting all our other social media handles, and supporting this podcast. We really appreciate you guys, especially y'all diehards that that tune in for the Ask Junior. You're the you're kind of the core group that that uh, we do this for. So thanks a lot, and uh, have a great week. All right, last call. It's been a great show. Thanks to Todd Parrott for coming in. Uh, a great Ask Junior session. Thank you, Leah. Some good work there by our listeners. Some great questions. Good open segment. Good conversation. The Dale Junior Download is going to be on NBCSN Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern this week. That's Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you tune in. A new episode of Door Bumper Clear. After Las Vegas is out now, TJ, Brett, and Freddie talk about Kyle Busch's suspicious spin in the truck race. I think we can all agree that that was a purposeful spin, and Kyle can't admit Mm. to doing it or he'll get (laughs) fined. Uh, Mike Joy, he tweeted about drivers with funding, and I think we know who he's talking about. (laughs) Um, And a spotter's radio battery dying. On a restart of all times. Man, what bad luck that was. And it was uh, unfortunate for our our man Ty Dillon. Mm -hmm. His spotter had that issue. They talk about all those things. It'd be interesting to see what their take on Mike Joy's tweet uh, is because I found that to be compelling. Yeah. Go listen now on all major podcast platforms. Door bumper clear. All right, man. Good show, Mike. Yeah, man. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. And uh, thanks to everybody listening to this show. It's, uh, we don't take it for granted. We try to come every week with it. And uh, so we appreciate you. All right. Schultz, Leah, any parting thoughts? No? no Leah, Leah says no. This was Schultz. great. Now we can. <laughs> wow. Feeling it, aren't you? Oh, We're man. feeling the love. Yeah. Wow. All right, everybody. Hey. <laughs> hey, have a great week. All right. I'm excited. Excited about this weekend. Weather's starting to turn. Things are getting nice outside. That's right. Finally. Yes. We're not living in Seattle anymore. Goodness. I know, right? Awesome. Have a good week, man. See y'all. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.